Welcome to No Go Area, the podcast that takes you to places where we probably shouldn't go. And you never know, it might just get dirty. All right, Phil, how's it going, mate? Not too bad, mate. How about you? Well, not too bad. Um, suffering a, a, a foot injury on in both feet. Um, oh, dear. No, just before we started recording, I think we were just mentioned you taking your trainers off. Yeah. Um, I, I have actually got two new pairs of trainers, both of which are crippling me at the moment. Oh, um, that's not good. Well, I see I've got flat feet from square bashing. Right? Oh, right. And um, I, I find if I have an arch in a shoe, it really hurts. You know, people say, oh, that supports your flat feet. I, I don't find that. I find that is the last thing I want in my shoes is an arch. So yeah. Whether I've just had shoes with too high an arch or what, I don't know, but I hate it. So um, basically, um, I've, I've, I've sort of had to just buy shoes with a nice soft insole, um, yeah. whether I'm going running or, or doing the day job, you know, which involves a lot of walking. Yeah. So, you know, the, but anyway, I, I bought one pair, which, which are Adidas walking trainers, right? Well, okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, whoever designed them has never had to walk beyond the desk to the coffee machine. <laughs> Complete. Oh, the pain you wouldn't believe. Oh, so man. then I bought, um, a pair of Chinese daps, um, off right. Amazon. And they look pretty good, and they've got a memory sole, um, except it would appear that mine memory soles have Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or something. No. And they are even worse. So I've been hobbling about because I've got plantar fasciitis in both feet, which is bloody uncomfortable. So, of course, um, yeah, I, I have found that if you take three ibuprofen before you set off on your route march, that um, that sort of helps quite a lot. Yeah, I don't think that's a very good sort of substitute, though, for good foot mm. health. No, it's it's not. But they're, they're quite good as an anti-inflammatory, and they do help if yeah. you've got tendonitis as well, which I do get in both Achilles. Um, there is a side effect to it, though. That side effect is it gives you bleeding piles. Oh, marvellous. Right, so I basically had to stop using ibuprofen. It makes your stomach bleed as well if you have too much. Yeah, uh, I heard that. That's pretty Reading. uncomfortable. Yeah, oh, that's horrific. You oh. know, this I, I, I haven't sort of like had discussions with people about piles, um, no, because it's it's not generally on you know the top of your conversational list. Not really, no. No. Um, yeah, you know, whenever I have mentioned it, some somebody always goes, "Oh, I'll push them back in for you." And I, you know. <laughs> uh, no thanks. Um, no. But you can imagine if if you've got to walk for you know like twelve to thirteen mile a day, you do not want piles. Right? Oh, absolutely not. So when you look at everybody's you know recommendations on how to deal with that, it's it's all about hydration and fiber and you know. And make sure you you know you hose out your your butthole oh, twice a day yeah. and and use all sorts of creams. I mean, I did I did ask Joe once to get me some pile cream. I said there there are two varieties. I said uh, the the one of them is called Anusol. Please don't get me that one. 
because it's it's written on the packet in giant letters and i just don't want that hanging around where people might see it get yeah. the other one you know get the other one that's a bit more discreet yes so she she got me the um the you know the, the shoulder mounted tube right that's oh, got its own sort of backup generator and everything yeah you know couldn't have been any less discreet no and uh so I, I I never bothered with it, you know. I just oh, I'm not doing this. But anyway, um, I I've I've since discovered that when I stopped taking the brufen, uh, the piles stopped, and hmm. uh, so it has to be that, right? Has yeah. to, right? yeah. So that was great. Um, except that um, when you have got things like that on your mind, it sort of um, causes other complications that you you never thought it would. Uh, right. Right. So, so to give you an example, you know, on Facebook with your profile picture, it's, it's a circular picture, right? Yes. Right. Well, and you can add a frame, can't you? Yes. Right. So a lot of people are putting a frame up that says protect the NHS, save lives, or, oh. you know, I love Wales rugby or, or things like, um, uh, uh, I've had my second vaccination, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I put up one that said I've had my hemorrhoids removed, right? Right. Uh, and of course, you know, I mean, it had a desired effect in that, you know, a few people found it funny, blah de blah yeah. right? But then I had another problem. I had a message from somebody I, I know who is gay who said, how's your arsenal? I've just seen your post on Facebook with your, you've had your hemorrhoids removed. Do you want me to inspect them for you? And I'm like, yeah, fucking hell. Can you just leave me alone, please? Oh, you know? that's brilliant. Yeah, I feel like, I've, uh, you know, I, I seem to be like, I don't know. I'm being, I, I don't know whether it was the Facebook dating experiment or what, but I, I do feel like I'm kind of being targeted a little bit by the, um, the uh, gay fraternity, shall we say. Hmm, possibly because of that. Or yeah. perhaps they find you quite attractive. Well. Who knows? Well, may, maybe they do. Maybe they do. But that would be, um, ooh, what would that be? Because, you know, like say, say for example, um, nobody finds you attractive um, <laughs> other than gay men. Would you be flattered or would you be like disturbed? Or, or I'd be you... quite flattered, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to go down that route, do you? No, you exactly. Say, yeah, like, if you're well, not gay and no. or bisexual, you're not. But... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So that that's well, God, you know, what can you do? What can you do? I, I, exactly. I just, you know, you, you, fuck it, you know, I mean, at least somebody doesn't think you're fucking horrible, you know. True. Yeah, that's so, true. So I'll kind of take take that one as a you know all right nice one but you know whatever. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. So I've I've got myself into a bit of bother as well with um, oh, no. texting etiquette. Right. Okay. Right. Now I was one of the first people. I I didn't know anybody else who had a phone before I did that could text messages to people. Right, because I when I discovered it, I was texting people and I was not getting a reply. I'd get people ring up and go, "What the fuck is going on here?" You know? <laughs> so, as far as I'm concerned, 25 years ago when texting sort of happened, I was at the forefront of it. Yeah. But now all of a sudden, I don't 
I don't understand texting anymore. Oh. Right, now it comes down to to grammar. And yeah. of course, it's it's you've got to be careful with the way you word things because you might be being sarcastic or funny, but other people can't yeah. tell a tone of voice because they're just reading the message. Exactly, right? yes. And could get upset about it. So what do you do? You know, what do you do about that? Um, you have to avoid saying things, certain things. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I am one of those people, by the way, who uh, towards the, the, the very beginning of texting as a thing, did think that LOL was um, love you lots. Oh, no, oh. no, what is it? Lo- lots of love. Lots of love. That's it. Lots of yeah. love. And I, yeah, I mean, you know, I didn't know that it was laugh out loud. No. And I, I got into a few awkward situations with that as well, you know, especially, you know, if somebody said that I'm ha- pet hamster had died or something, lol. <laughs> You know, um, I'm sorry, your wife has died. Lol. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so, oh, yeah no. that type of thing. Yeah, so I'm, I, I probably started that. Anyway, um, <laughs> so so one of your generation, you millennial types, uh, yes, absolutely ripped into me one day for oh, no. using full stops oh. in messaging. You know that apparently is incredibly rude. Oh. Incredibly rude. Oh, that, that, means, that means that's the end of the conversation, oh. you know? So, um, uh, I don't think I, that's right. No, it is. It is. It is. Look, I've looked it up. <laughs> yes, I know. But I looked it up today. You cannot use full stop like that. It upsets people. Um, oh, I've been doing that for years. Yeah. Well, look how many people you've upset then. <laughs> I don't know why my missus talks to me. <laughs> well, oh, no. she, she probably, she's, she probably realizes by now. Yeah. I should hope so, yeah. yeah. That's that's weird. I, I can understand kind of, you know, full stop, that's the end. But yeah. in context, you know, it's, oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but um, I, like I didn't know that um, you, you sometimes see people put XO. Uh, and you think, well, uh, I'm guessing that the X is a kiss. I don't know what the O yeah. is. Do you know what the O is? Hug. Yeah, it's a hug, yeah. Yeah. I think right? I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why it's a hug. Well, I guess it's, a, you know. Circular. Yeah. Yeah. Circular. Yeah. Right. Circular, okay. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, but I, I was talking to a, a friend of mine yesterday who is uh, Generation X, like me, elderly. Yeah. And, um, and he said that he didn't know that... Um, in, in messaging, uh, an X is not kiss. That's to tell you um, they they want to reply from you, right? What? So it's a bit it's a bit like saying um, you know when you're on the on, on the military radio saying over instead of out, right? Um, oh. It means you're handing over to. Yes. I, just, I yeah. don't see that that's necessary because you know no. clearly they finished what they were going to say. Yeah. Uh, Otherwise, so it keep coming. <laughs> yeah, so I've been taking his word for this, right? And and it's it's caused me another problem. <laughs> oh, no. Right? 
because with another another fella, right, who texted me out of the blue the other day that, right. that I used to go to school with, who who's very definitely gay, and um, you know, I've been I've been doing this with you, you know, on messaging lately. You know, how are you? Kiss. You know, I'm fine, thanks. Kiss. You know, and you get this, yeah. right? Or X. So I was just getting into it, and he goes, "How are you, X?" I goes, oh, "I'm all right. Uh, I'm heard from you for a while, X." And and then he goes, "Oh, I didn't think I'd get a kiss from you." <laughs> I'm like, what? Hang on. <laughs> so I've I've since looked this up. My my mate in who told me about this is fucking wrong. Yeah, He's totally wrong. <laughs> a kiss is a kiss. Yes. Right? So, Jesus, I'm, I'm back to square one on messaging. Honestly. I've had a bit of a funny messaging incident this week as well. Um, no, not via ahead. text, via email. So I teach privately. Yeah. And I booked in a new student um, on Wednesday morning. Okay. So I've got a fixer um, who gets me some students uh, occasionally right. just like to fill up my books. Type of agent type of thing, is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, a mu- he's a music teacher as well. All right. Uh, he's a good bloke, um, and we're on like sort of a good deal. Great. So he sent me the information. I emailed the new student's parent. Yeah. Saying thank you for getting in contact. Booked you in at Wednesday, at half past six for thirty minutes. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's the first thing that I said in the email. Sent them the link to the Zoom lesson. Attached all, you know, the information, terms and conditions, everything, contract, invoice, everything like that. So I'm there. Half past six rolls around. Nothing. Thought, oh, I'll leave it five minutes. Nothing. Yeah. Quarter past, 20 past, 25 past, half past, nothing. They didn't turn up. So I thought, oh, they've changed their mind. 20 past 10 at night, I get an email back yeah. from this student's parents. Hello. I was in a meeting and forgot about this. There was no call or text to even remind me. Full stop. Oh. Not quite happy, to be honest. Full stop. Kind regards. Mm. So quite a mixed message here. (laughs) Now, they had replied using the email that I had sent previously, telling them when the lesson was as a reminder. Okay, right. Uh, (laughs) So I emailed back, hi, parent's name i emailed brackets previous email in this thread with all the relevant information for the lesson including the time yeah as a reminder sorry you forgot the lesson we can reschedule it as po- uh, as soon as possible i thought that would be fine yeah i mean yeah. i mean look it sounds to me like they've they've fucked up right but they're shifting yeah. the blame onto you you've Absolutely. pointed out Hang on a minute. Actually, I did send you a reminder. Blah de blah. Yeah. The onus is on you, right? They replied to the reminder that I sent them. Right. Okay. <laughs> I just yeah. don't understand. Uh, next one in the thread. Um, Four thirty on Friday will be okay, as I'm going in the office tomorrow. Right. That's when they want this lesson rescheduled. I haven't got four thirty free. Oh, right, okay. Of course yeah. I haven't. I haven't mentioned when. I just said it'd be great if we could reschedule. Yeah. Uh, they adamantly said 4.30 is the time. Uh, I messaged back. Unfortunately, I'm teaching another person at that time, and yeah. I've never heard from them again. Right. 
Lovely. Lovely stuff. But was this, just, was this an adult? The person who was emailing me, yes. Um, but it was for, it was the, for their, child. their child. Yeah. Okay, all right. But, you know, people can be absolute wankers. I, I Yes, yeah. I just don't understand. It, it really pissed me off at the time. I mean, they're talking um, as if it's your fault. It's all your fault. Oh, you, it's you, you made no effort. Uh, you didn't send a cab, you know. No. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, over the years, I have got myself into shitloads of trouble with messaging, um, especially when you accidentally reply to the wrong person, uh, where you might be saying yeah. something about that person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, you know, oh, uh, you know yeah. sh- shit's happened. Um, so, yeah, God alive. I, I prefer to use the phone, but just I prefer I prefer talking. Yeah, but just about everybody yeah. I know says, "Oh, fucking hell, don't ring me." <laughs> and apparently, that is texting et- etiquette as well. You should text somebody to ask if it's okay to ring them. Yes, right? I've heard that as well. Um, but you have to you have to take into account the time of day that you're texting. So for example, if, if somebody works night shifts, you're not texting them, you know, sort of in the middle of the day when they might be trying to have a kip or whatever, yeah. you know? Um, and, and then there's all sorts of other things like, um, when you suddenly stop replying to somebody that apparently that's called ghosting. Um, oh yeah. You know, which, which is bizarre. Well, we've ghosted each other a few times then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, do you know what I mean? It, it It's like, you, you do get some people, though, that start replying with one-word answers, right? Yeah. And that apparently is very, very rude. You know? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Mm. Yeah. I think what mm. is worse is when somebody can't even be bothered to write okay and just write k oh that's horrible that absolutely horrible. i mean that's telling you something isn't it oh imagine that k full stop stop yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah that's uh, and i've been told off for actually just putting okay full stop um by by one of your it depends on the context of it though really in yeah. my opinion yeah yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I yeah. feel like I feel like I'm I'm getting left behind a bit with this, but, except that you know, there's people who are far more left behind than me. I mean, I I know I, well somebody that we both know who plays saxophone, right? Uh, yes. Shall we? Yeah. Shall we uh, use the pseudonym, the Wasp? Right. Okay. Yep. As as she used to be known. Um, <laughs> For you know, just being like in your face all the time and irritating. Yeah. Um, she always ended every text or post on Facebook with um, "pissed myself laughing." Basically, the acronym. Oh. That, you know. And and I I said to her one day, I said I said, do you know what that actually means? She goes, well, it's, you know, pissed myself laughing. I said, but it sounds like you're pissing all the time, and you can't control your bladder right she stopped using it then lol oh. so. <laughs> i found uh, quite a trend now amongst um sort of people my age and younger of 
sort of just leaving voice messages for each other via text rather than texting. Yeah. Uh, a few people have been doing that to me. I don't reply via voice message, but it's quite interesting. It's quite nice. My uh, my oldest son does that um, on the rare occasions he gets in touch. Yeah. Um, and uh, I I don't mind that. And I, it sometimes makes me think that they've just got the, the phone in, in the car in a phone holder and they're just pressing the microphone button on the messaging so they can leave you that yeah. message instead of actually, you know, they can't stop and yeah, exactly. text or whatever. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm fine with that. But um, Yeah, I, I quite know. like it. Yeah. Bit more in like sort of social interaction. Which yeah, is it nice. is, isn't it? yeah, it is. I don't reciprocate though. I haven't got time. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, yeah. Um, Joe used to go through this phase of rapidly typing out hundreds of messages, but she kept hitting the return button after every sentence. So, like, say for example, I'm I'm trying to work or something, and I might have my headphones in or something, but. You know, I've got my hands full of mail and stuff. Yeah. And it, my head, the message would be going, ping, 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 ping. Oh. I'm thinking, just, can you just fucking put it in one long paragraph or something, you know? Yeah. Uh, oh. But apparently that's rude too. Oh, it's better to do nonsense. Oh. Honestly, What's people the go, world come oh, into, eh? Oh, people don't <laughs> want to read War and Peace, you know, just keep it short. and. Well, no. If if you need a paragraph, use a fucking paragraph. Don't yeah, split it, it down into individual sentences and send two hundred fucking texts that you could <laughs> where you could have just sent one. You know. Exactly. There we are. Anyway, <laughs> so that's that's messaging and that's messaging. shit it gets you into. <laughs> uh, I thought um, we 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 have to mention. I think the sausage war. Oh, this is brilliant, this is. Yeah. So, what is the world coming to? (laughs) What is the world coming to? Well, do you want to give a roundup on what the sausage war is about? Oh, it's nonsense, but it's funny nonsense that actually isn't nonsense at all. And it makes sense from different perspectives. Yeah. So with Brexit, um, so British exit of the EU um, and border checks on some goods, including chilled meats, which is what a sausage tube or whatever they want to call it comes under, um, they've got to check them or not check them and just not send them because of the time it takes to check the sausages and make sure they're up to standard. And one side is saying that's what the agreement was. The other side is saying, but you've only ever tested like 10% of them before. Now you're testing 90%. This is it. No sausages for anyone there. Sort yourselves out. And it's hilarious, but sad at the same time. Right. So I I did a little bit of reading on this. Um, Yeah. Now, this isn't the first sausage war, by the way. No. <laughs> this is sausage war too. It is. Because the original sausage war was at the Battle of Varolampi Pond. Right? And, and this was essentially when the Soviet Union uh, decided they were going to invade Finland. Right. And they, they basically they outnumbered the Finns by three to one. And yeah. they had a lot more tanks and armor and guns and the Finns had 
So essentially, the Finns didn't stand a chance, right? No. Uh, a million men just crossed the Finnish border. So what happened in this particular battle was that the the Finns had to get out of there quick because they would have been massacred otherwise. Yeah. And they left everything, including uh, they they essentially just been cooking all day long for all their troops uh, a very sort of fatty sausage stew, because you know if you if you have a heavy sort of fatty stew, um, it helps you fight in in winter conditions. You know, gives you more yeah. energy. Yeah. Um, well, the thing was that the Soviets were sent off to battle with nothing, so. By the time they got there, which took them about ten days, apparently they hadn't. They were all starving and freezing, and they just could not resist all this sausage stew. So they decided to hole up in these uh, sort of barracks and tents and stuff, and gorge themselves on sausage stew. Now, meanwhile, all the pe- all the Finns who'd evacuated that area met up with another com- Finnish commander. Uh, spread the news and so they they all sort of teamed up as as a much larger military force then and encircled the russians and massacred them yeah and uh, and that sort of in apparently that inspired hitler you know um, against you know when for when he decided he was going to go to war against russia yeah so that's the real sausage war, but wow. sausage war 2.0, as yeah. we are going to call it. <laughs> Boris, you know, genius Brexit negotiator. Yes. Now, see, here's the problem, right? In the rest of Europe, you can move chilled meats across borders seamlessly. Yes. Right? There is no issue, no problem. No. If you're not in Europe, you can't send chilled meats because um, obviously it takes several days to get there. Like you say, they've got to do yeah. the testing. They're not really fresh by the time they get there. No. Um, so you can send frozen, right? But what they don't yeah. do is they don't send, you can't send fresh sausages that have been frozen and say they're fresh. No. Right? Now, where that doesn't really matter to us because nobody in Europe eats British sausages. They no, just don't. No. You know, so that doesn't, you'd think that that would matter. And this is like how simple Boris is really and his cabal, right? Yeah. They didn't think it would matter because nobody in Europe is going to eat a variety of sausage. They've got their own thing, bratwurst, whatever you want to call it. Chorizo, salamis, all the nice sausages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nice chipolatas. Yeah. So, um, herein lies the problem. Northern Ireland has to be subject to EU rules. Otherwise, you can't have a seamless border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Correct. All right. And Boris signed up to that. Yes. So that means... We cannot send chilled meats to Northern Ireland because they are subject to EU rules. Exactly. Right. Hence the sausage war, because Boris being Boris goes, 
well, I don't agree with that anymore, so we're going to rip that up. Oh, it's, it's just ridiculous, the, the shit they're coming out with just to cover themselves and just blame the EU instead of, you know, taking responsibility for what they signed. Exactly, but the the big problem as I see it is, you see, the, you know, there's a lot of people in the EU, okay, and, you know, if they get all their thinkers together and they pit up their thinkers against Boris and people like Matt Hancock. And Lord Frost. Yeah, they, they are going to beat us hands down. Yeah, of you know, course they are. It's, it's a game of chess. I've said since before uh, we actually left Europe that the price of leaving Europe is the reunification of Ireland, right? Mm, and yeah. I'm sticking to that theory. We've, I think you're you know, good to stick to that theory, uh, they, to be honest. You know, he got fucking mauled at the G7 by, <laughs> I mean, what was that von der Leyen woman doing there anyway? She's not even part of the, she's not an elected official of a country. No, you know? she's, no she's representing right. the interests of the EU. Yes, but so were all their leaders, right? Yeah. Okay, well, anyway, cut, cutting that aside, they mauled him. Right, and so did President Biden. Oh yeah, because President Biden thinks he's Irish, right? Yes. And any president who who has ever claimed to have Irish roots is then duty bound to try and force a reunification of Ireland. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Now it doesn't matter what your opinion is on the reunification of Ireland. No. That is the situation. Right. Yeah. So now we've got we've got a problem now. But if if we break the law, which comes into effect on the 1st of July, about shipping chilled meats over to Northern Ireland, we will be taken to the European Court of Law and fined something like a, a million quid a day, oh. right? So what will Boris do? You'll just say, I don't recognise the European Court. Yeah. You know? And this is a dangerous thing. Absolutely. Right? Because, because then becomes a thing where um, you, you've you got no possible last line of defense um, other than our own Supreme Court. Right? Yeah, that's, yeah. But, but we know who appoints the judges. <laughs> yes. And we know who changes the rules, left, right, yeah. and center, to suit themselves. And you, you will end up in a dictatorship, you know. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just and stupid. <laughs> it is. And so the way I see it, it's it's a long-term thing, really, or it could be a very short-term thing. But I think it'll either be reunification of Ireland or we don't, we don't have a proper court system anymore in this country. You know? Yeah, I mean, the court system isn't really up to much anyway. Um at the moment, but it can only get worse. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, when you've got people like uh, Pretty Patel running the show on, oh yeah, I mean she's an evil bitch. I don't, you know, never <laughs> yeah. mind. It doesn't matter what her background is or ethnicity. No. That's got nothing to do with it. She is an evil fucking bitch. She should have been removed from her position numerous, numerous times. Well, yeah. Well, we know that. But what yeah. happens to MPs who break the law? Nothing. Well, if you're in power, nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're in power, nothing. If you're in the opposition, a lot. 
exactly. So that that kind of brings me on to the the current COVID situation. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know what you think about it all, but uh, I've got my I got some views. So sort of listening to some uh, politicians earlier going on about them. mainly politicians, though not scientists. Um, but are they are they even scientists? You know, if if you put the word behavioural in front of scientist, that is not a fucking scientist. No. That is somebody who studies people's behaviour. That is not a fucking scientist. That's not science. No. It just isn't. No. But they make up most of the board members of SAGE. Right? So it's all about controlling people. It's not science. You know, or when they say, oh, you know, and, and of course, government, I mean, the government, they're the most, they've got more faces than Big Ben, haven't they, the government? Let's yes. Be fair. They've got more front than Blackpool. Yeah. And they'll go, we trust the science. We, we're listening to the scientists, right? And then they say, well, scientists got it wrong. We were only listening to them, you know? It's, it's, if I was a member of SAGE, I'd be thinking, these guys are going to hang me out to dry it one, one day. Yeah. Right? I don't <laughs> so, want to be a part of this. And I would resign. No. But they won't resign. And I'll tell you why. Because they're all fucking misfits, members of society that we don't really want. Right? Right. They wouldn't be on your pub quiz team. They wouldn't be one of your mates. Right? They are all fucking losers. You know, um, cellar dwellers window lickers, you name it, then, but they will not give up their spot in the limelight and their power because they have got this, they think they've got this enormous power because the government's only playing along with it. Oh, yeah, all right, we'll listen to that. Uh, and then we'll throw them to the wolves when we have to. Okay. Yeah, this is what happens. Um, look what happened with, um, you know, what's happening with Cummings at the moment, Dominic I'm Cummings. I'm loving that. I'm yeah. loving what's happening with this. So am I, but there are people out there who, who are saying, no, 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 he's doing this because Boris is using him to blame everybody else and not yeah. Boris, right? <laughs> and and if you've seen the text messages that have come out recently, haven't you, about yes. Hancock, yeah. you know, about Hancock being hopeless and all this sort of thing. Fucking hopeless. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and he is. Let's, be, let's yeah. face it. But his one, um, well, he's, he's got a couple of um, strings to his bow that suits Boris, right? He loves, because he's a little fucking Nazi, right? On, on the scale of Himmler, right? Right. He loves telling people what they can and cannot do, right? Okay. He, he loves telling people that he's saving lives, right? Because he, you know, as soon as he's out of sight, on with the Superman cape, and he's saving oh. lives, right? Yeah. You know? I mean, and every sort of, every reply to anything that's sort of come out to the Cummings Inquiry and these texts is always saving lives and what he's done for vaccinating. Yeah. And et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I, I can see, yeah. I can but the other thing that. is... Mm -hmm. It does not matter what anybody says about him, even what Boris Johnson says about him. He is totally loyal to Boris Johnson. Oh. And, and that, 
I find insane. Because Johnson will throw him to the wolves. Oh, yeah. You know, there's Absolutely. no question about it. No. You'd be the first oh. one under the bus. Yeah. yeah. If anything's, you know, if it comes down to him, you know, yeah. Johnson or Hancock, and well, he, he's definitely going to throw him under the bus. It's... Did you hear what he said in, in um, I think it was in Parliament the other day, uh, this is this is Hancock now. Right. He said, "We have no duty of care to the unvaccinated." Oh yes, yeah. That's, no. that's not right. Well, fucking right, it's not right because <laughs> we're all paying for our NHS, our beloved yeah. NHS. You know how fucking dare he say? Because what he is saying is, we're not treating you unless you have the vaccine, right? Oh, it's stupid. Well, but it's dangerous too. It's oh, dangerous. no, it's absolutely dangerous, yeah. You know, and it's it, going to rile people up in oh, the wrong yeah. way as well. I mean, they're definitely telling people as well, you know, you want to go on holiday? You, you better drag that fucking bloke you know who hasn't had the vaccine. You drag him by the scruff of his fucking neck and you get him jabbed because it's his fault that you can't go on holiday. Yeah. And they've started offering incentives for vaccinations in London. Oh, they? Um, like what? Yeah. So I think I might have got these the wrong way around. Go on. I think it was Ar- Arsenal's... I'm not a football fan, so please excuse me. But Arsenal's stadium yeah. uh, is a vaccination centre. Uh, I think it's like the first 500 who have, have it get a ticket for a match next year. Next oh. week then, it's for Chelsea Stadium and the same sort of thing. Right, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, it was on LBC. Um, Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, was talking about it uh, right. this morning. There, there is a problem that I see at the moment, and that is that there is no opposition to the government because the Labour Party also think oh. people should be forcibly vaccinated. You know, and I just think, Jesus, you know, that there, there is... There are people out there who think this is genocidal because these vaccines are still, you know, in the testing process mm. and they won't be passed until 2023. What happens come 2023 and they go, uh, yeah, they're not safe. <laughs> There's no comeback. No, the paperwork that was signed and the agreements made, nothing can go back on the manufacturers of these uh, vaccines. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So... I mean, I'm uh, happy that I'm vaccinated. Yeah. I'm happy that my family uh, are vaccinated. Yeah. But you can't... You you can't force people, obviously. I mean, everyone's their own person. I prefer, you know, the majority to be vaccinated. Um, but you can't force people. That's never going to work. No. It's just going to make things a hundred times worse and it's just going to open the door for God knows what really to happen. Well, <laughs> but what happens if there is something down the line, uh, a health issue caused by the vaccine because it hasn't had that clinical trial done over, uh, was it five years or something Yeah. Like that? Yeah, because they, they've what done happens? trials, but they can't do the longevity, you know, of yeah. you know, what's no, going to happen in years. No, they, they want to vaccinate 12-year-olds. Yes. You know, you can't give a fucking under-12-year-old 
ibuprofen, you know, two ibuprofen or two no, aspirin. They can't give you bloody you know. two ibuprofen to start no, with. No, clearly, clearly not. No. <laughs> no. You see yes. what happens? I know. <laughs> two, two ibuprofen caused me a bleeding ring, you know. Yeah. Uh, and they've had clinical trials. But you uh, exactly. Can't, you can't say the second a child turns 12, give him an experimental jab, he'll be fine. They're perfectly no. safe. We don't know that. You know, no, and, research is key. Yeah. Testing is key. The longer but, the tests go on, the better, obviously. You, you Same know, with all other inoculations and vaccines that we've, you know, me and you have had in the past. Oh, they've all been tested properly. Yes, um, I've got to say the though. Majority. Um, <laughs> right. Let me let me just quickly check this. I, right. I, I might I might get this wrong here. You, you've had the MMR jab, haven't you? Yes. Yeah, so did I. Um, which is mumps, measles, and rubella, I think, isn't it? That's right, yeah. Right, okay. Right. I'd already had rubella as a five-year-old. Oh, wow. Right. And, of course, um, they call it rubella because it's not politically correct to call <laughs> it by its correct name. Yes. Which is German measles. Measles, yeah. I had the full fucking Nazi variety, I can tell you now. Right? (laughs) But uh, luckily I survived it, so I I didn't need a triple vaccine years later. No, no. Right? Because that's effectively, uh, that's what the MMR is, mumps, measles, rubella. All right, well, it doesn't matter. I think I've turned out all right. I've I've had all sorts of jabs. I've I've never really worried about that. But they were tested. Yes. They were passed. And that doesn't mean, you know, it's bulletproof because... No, of course not. So, somebody passed... Um, oh, what what was it? The um, I wish I could remember the name. It'll come to me in a minute. Thalidomide. Oh, I was just going to mention that. Yeah, they yeah. tested that, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, there, there is something there, though. Um, now, I'm not, you know... By all means, fact check me on this. Thalidomide was not developed for morning sickness. That is not what it was developed for. Okay. It was developed as a motion sickness tablet. Oh. Right? Okay. And I, I tell you now, I have had those myself as a child to stop me puking in the car and stuff. Yeah. Right? Because I did that on a regular basis. Um, my My... Father claims that my mother took him to stop uh, uh, having morning sickness. Hmm. Now, a, f- a friend of mine who's um, he's half Australian. Well, he's Australian, but he's he's half English, half Aboriginal Australian. Oh, wow. right? He um, has a number of issues caused by his mother taking thalidomide. Oh. Um, but his brother is even worse. His brother... Had, was born with huge gaps between his teeth and his penis was attached to his leg when he was born. Oh. Yeah. So um, but there oh, you well. go, fully tested. Yeah, so, I mean, I've taken not dodgy sort of inoculations, but when I've travelled abroad with the military, I've been given God knows what, and you just sign a blank form you know, giving them permission to give it to you and no comebacks, no take-backs, what you're given, no. you're given. 
<laughs> it's it's a bit like that in the military, isn't it? You know. Yeah. Um, well, of, yeah. of course, they have tested those in battlefield conditions, right? Yes. Just slightly different. Absolutely. So, <clears throat> all right. Now, I've got my second jab, even though I'm not telling anybody I've ha- had the jab. Right. Uh, I've got mine. Good next... doing that on a podcast, by the way. That's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We we do only have the one listener, so oh yeah, uh, the listener knows, yeah, you know, the, who's in our inner circle now. Yeah. Um, so basically, um, second job next Tuesday, three nice. o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, in a good location for you this time? Uh, not really. Um, oh. I've got to go down to the bay now to get that done. Always uh, posh, don't they? Well, not <laughs> it's the old Toys R Us building. Yes. You know? Uh, I think that's where the listener went as well. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Well, our, our listener's in America. <laughs> oh, the, the yeah. other listener. Oh, the um, other listener. Oh, the other, oh right. Oh, there's two. Oh, we've yeah. got two. Um, Wicked. Yeah, went down there um, for the right, okay. uh, vaccine. Uh, so I'm, I've am i had the AstraZeneca as the first one, and, and that's what I'll get for the second one. Uh, yes. Now, my mate in work had uh, his second jab, two days ago. He said he didn't have any side effects oh. at all. AstraZeneca and another guy I know, same age. He, he had his second jab and had no side effects, but he took a couple of days off anyway because he, he was training for a, a race. So, oh. <laughs> yeah. I'm on Pfizer. Um, I've had my first. Yeah. Uh, I'm only allowed Pfizer because of my age. Um, I think in the next couple of weeks I'll probably get the second letter. Um, they, they're quite sharp. Uh, quite quick up by me. Yeah, um, is that the one where they they you just drive up, open the window a crack, they throw the hypodermic in, and you do it yourself? <laughs> I I wouldn't mind that. It, yeah, it saved queuing up. To be fair, I don't understand why they had to do the the, the injection in your neck. Why why do they do that then? <sighs> it's it's like in in every Hollywood fucking film I've ever seen. Yeah. You always get jabbed in the neck. And, I don't know. and you think, come on. I mean, you're going to miss the fucking vein doing that anyway, yeah, aren't you? you know? Absolutely. It's going to be dribbling down your throat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yes. So here's the thing, right? I don't want to have any of these jabs, but I'm having them. Obviously, I've had yeah. the first one. I chose the AstraZeneca because it's a traditional vaccine. It's made yes. from a dead husk of a virus. A right? yep. little bit weird that they haven't quite actually identified what the virus looks like. <laughs> they haven't isolated and sequenced its DNA. Right. So I think I had a flu jab. I think they're all flu jabs, the AstraZeneca. I'm convinced I had this very same sort of side effects I've had when I've had the flu jab. All right. So whatever, I don't care. But <laughs> I didn't want the experimental mRNA vaccine. Oh, that no. Because I just don't, I, I just feel like some if something went wrong, it'd be me it would go wrong too, you know? Yeah. I would be the one who suddenly started, you know, getting cancerous piles or whatever. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah, but you youngsters, you'll be fine. 
I hope so. I mean, I'm feeling all right. So. <laughs> now, here's the thing, right? The, the government has said, to, uh, it was either today or yesterday, it might have been yesterday, that maybe the double vaccinated will be able to fly, uh, to, well, to go on holiday, right? Yes, to Amberlist countries, wasn't it? Amberlist, yeah. Yeah, without um, quarantining or any of that nonsense. Yeah. Uh, problem is, you see, at the moment, you know, if, if you do go, I, I, I think they've been rumbled, you see, right? If you go abroad on holiday, uh, you are not spending any money in this country, right? No. You are not, if you're not spending money in this country, you are not paying tax, okay? Yeah. Because everything you buy has got VAT on it. Yes. Right. Um, and and it's the the VAT chain is just fucking unbelievable. Yeah. You know, everything oh, you is. buy, and then if if you're a business that's fat registered, you can claim some of it back, but generally you're going to lose. You know. Yeah. It's yeah. just horrendous that VAT. So you're going abroad. You're not spending money here. You're not paying tax here. And I think this entire system right now is about squeezing as much tax out of people as possible yeah right? take for example when they said oh it wasn't safe to have cash anymore right? oh, yeah. use contactless right yeah. uh well so i take my stuff to tesco right? i've handled everything so's the shelf stacker that put it up there in the first place yes god knows how many people who picked up say pack of carrots and went, oh, I don't want those ones. Right? I run it down the conveyor. The woman on the other side of a Perspex screen, double masked, right? Handles everything. Yep. You know, shoves it down to me. I bag it, right? But it's not safe to use cash. Why is that? <sighs> you know? Now in, yeah. in a place at Tesco's, I've got to declare all of it, right? Oh, yeah. You, you go to um, your local corner shop, uh, you know, there's a possibility they're not going to declare all the sales. I mean, how many times have you had somebody just not even ring up the till and go, oh, it's £2.50 or whatever? Oh, yeah. yeah. Happens yeah. all the time, yeah. right? Um, when I, I last had my hair cut, Barbara said to me, I nearly went bankrupt through lockdown, mm. right? It's because I've got to pay rent. Uh, there's There's rates, you know. I'm not yeah. getting any money in. No, exactly. And when I opened up, people didn't come, you know? Yeah. So she said I had to take out a massive loan just to be able to stay in business. Now I'm paying a loan with interest, but they want me to run everything through a contactless machine, right? Yeah. She said in that way, they see everything that I'm taking. And as a consequence they're getting more tax off me. Yeah, exactly. Right? She said, I'm sorry, but I, she said, I put that thing in the fucking bin. I'm cash only. She said, I've got a loan to pay off now. And they made, they made that a reality. They forced yeah. that on me. Right. And I don't blame her. And you go in any Chinese takeaway, you know, it's cash only. Yeah. And they don't even take checks anymore. You know, that type of thing. No. Right. Um, taxi drivers, you know, you go, uh, oh, it's contactless, is it, mate? No, 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 cash, cash, you know. I've got a good story about that. Um, it was after a gig um, I, down in Cardiff um, quite a few years ago. 
and I pre-booked a taxi, lovely, perfectly fine. I yep. loaded my kit in. Uh, it was quite a quite a fair journey as well from Cardiff up to the valleys. Yeah, that is a fair uh, trip. Yeah, oh yeah, it was you know just under a hundred. Wow. Yeah, just because of the time of night and the day it was New, yeah. New Year's Eve. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and when I booked, I said, "Oh yeah, car payments. Yeah, oh fine. Yep, yeah. no worry. All good, boss. Yeah." Pulls up outside, outside the house. Meter going. Uh, money he asked for wasn't what was on the meter, but that's a different story for another day. Right, okay. um, and I saw his card reader, and I, you know, went past my card. Oh no, it's broken. Doesn't uh, work. How, how convenient. Yeah, I was like, oh, oh, that was a free journey then, uh, according to Cardiff uh, City Council. Then, um, oh no, it's working now. It's working now. <laughs> Magically, uh, I did leave him. Well. I was going to leave him quite a decent tip, and I, I left him a little tip, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's happened a few times to me. Yeah. Um, I, I've mostly, my taxi stories mostly revolve around being refused a taxi oh, uh, no. when I tell them where I live, you know? And they just won't come here. It's 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 too far <clears> away. They don't want to go because they can get 20 jobs in the time it takes them to get here. Yeah. yeah. And it really fucking infuriates me, because especially black and white, you hail a black and white, They've oh. got to pick you up, right? Yes. And when you tell them where you're going to, they drive off. Yeah. You know, and uh, I've reported a couple of them to the council. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I've reported wh- a few. Whether anything's happened or not, I don't know. I don't uh, I don't it. But I got in I... one taxi once, right? And it was an Indian fella. And I noticed that there was this great lump of a woman in the front. And I'm like, uh, I said, who's, who's this lady? And he said, oh, it's my wife. Oh. I went, oh, okay. Right, unusual. Um, I said, you, you, you're going the wrong way, mate. And he goes, oh, I've got to drop her off to work. <laughs> I said, well, listen, I said, if we'd had that conversation, I, I, I tell you now, I, I'm not in a, a massive rush. I probably would have said, yeah, that's fine. I said, yeah. the meter's running. Yeah, you're yeah. going the wrong way. I said, I, I am not fucking paying you more than five quid for this trip. Yeah. Right? And he told me to get out of the cab. Oh. You know, so I did. I had to call another taxi. Oh. You know, and for fucking paying on the meter for him to take his missus to work well, first. No. <laughs> you know? Fucking unbelievable. Good for him for trying, mate. Oh. <laughs> so anyway, I've digressed. Yes. So now, you know, the the situation with the the amber countries was you you go on holiday uh when it's a green country they change yes. the rules while like 100,000 people are abroad yeah. in these green countries to amber so now you have to pay for covid kits when you get back to yeah. each and you stay in a quarantine hotel whilst you don't get paid at work Right. Yes. And that is just them essentially fining you for not spending your money in this country that they could tax. Right. Yeah. And they've yeah. been fucking rumbled. You know, they've been fucking rumbled. And now they've changed it. Oh, uh, well, we'll let the double vaccinated go. Okay. Because yeah. they know they could, there's going to be a riot. There will be a riot. And, and I, you know, honestly, I, I'm starting to feel like I want to see a riot 
on the level of the Ceausescu's, you know, kangaroo court executed by machine gun fire, you know? I don't think that's a... It's not going to happen, but... No, uh, it's not going to happen. I wouldn't wouldn't wish that to happen. Well, I I wouldn't wish it to happen because it would be the end of democracy, but it's just really starting... It's not just me, Phil. It's loads of people. I read it on Twitter all the time. I've had such a fucking gutsful that this is... The second year now we've been told we can't go on holiday, yet we didn't have the vaccines last year, and we could, could go on holiday. Yeah, yeah. Right? This is just fucking not on. Mm-hmm. And, and they know they've been rumbled. But here you go. Here's a classic. You can go if you've been double vaccinated, but you better not fly in case you get a blood clot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Well, you know, it's mm. the whole thing is a piss take. Yeah. It's just no. recouping the money that they've pissed out. So <sighs> here's a little bit of a conspiracy for you. Right. right. Okay, this is an article I read um, that was written in December last year. Okay. The Chinese Biological Laboratory uh, laboratory in Wuhan is owned by GlaxoSmithKline. Did you know right. that? Okay. Who, by coincidence, owns Pfizer, the one that, who produces a vaccine for the right. virus, that, by coincidence, started the biological lab in Wuhan, which was, by coincidence, funded by Dr. Fauci, who oh. is, by coincidence, promoting the vaccine. Uh, turns out that GlaxoSmithKline by coincidence, is owned by BlackRock Finances, who, by coincidence, manages the finances of the open source foundation company, otherwise known as the Soros Foundation. (laughs) Uh, We haven't talked about George Soros yet, but we... No, we haven't. And that Soros Foundation, by coincidence, serves the French... AXA Insurance Company. Oh. Now, by coincidence, Soros owns the German company, Wintertha, which, by coincidence, built the Chinese laboratory in Wuhan. Oh, Christ. Which was bought by the German Alliance Company, which, by coincidence, has Vanguard as a shareholder which, by coincidence, is a shareholder of BlackRock, which, by coincidence, controls the central banks and manages about one-third of the global investment capital. Now, it's only a coincidence, right? But BlackRock (laughs) is also the major shareholder of Microsoft the oh. property of Bill Gates, who, by coincidence, is a shareholder of Pfizer, who are selling the miracle vaccine, and who, by coincidence, is currently the first sponsor of the World Health Organization. Oh, it all comes back around, doesn't it? It does a bit, doesn't it? Now, I mean, call me I don't a want to be pessimistic. Theorist. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I I find that quite disturbing, really. 
I mean, it sounds like a big coincidence to me. Doesn't Probably it? the most biggest coincidence in the world, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, that that's just funny to me. Just the how long that went on for. That was just. <laughs> I know, I know, and it's it's. Ugh. I've checked these things. I've checked. Yeah. It's true. It's yeah. fucking true. Oh, I, I don't doubt it. No, it's not some guy who sat down and thought, "Oh, I'll uh, you know." Yeah, I'll make this go around there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, because I mean, there are people out there who 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 do sort of hoaxes. I I am one of them. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll tell you how dangerous and how easy it is to to actually create a hoax and how it can spread like wildfire and actually cause a strike. Right, I, I caused right. a strike once. Oh. We were in a, a pay dispute in this. Uh, it was a big factory I was working in. It was just bakery. It was. Right. We're in a pay dispute, and somebody said somebody who was a, a lot older than me, probably about my age now, said, "Oh, have you heard the latest on the pay dispute? I haven't heard anything." So I said. And this was right at a time, by the way, when the National Lottery had just started. Oh, right. So I said, oh, I said, yeah, they've, they've come up with this great idea now that they're, they're only going to offer us 1%, but every employee in the com- company, which was about 800 of us, will be given a National Lottery lucky dip. <laughs> oh, a lucky dip. Every week, right? Right. And... He went, that's fucking outrageous. I, I said, but no, if you think about it, um, you know, with the, the chances of, of winning, you know, you could be a millionaire next week or you could win every couple of weeks a small amount of money, but it yeah. would build up over the year and it, and it would actually be, could turn out to be better than a pay rise, you know? Yeah. Uh, I said, in that way, it's saving the company money, but in, 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 but they're also enriching you. You know, I said, this is a radical new way of giving people a pay rise. So on average, you're going to be better off, but it's not hitting the company too bad, right? Right. You know, it's costing them £52 a year, you know. I said, what would you rather have? 52 chances to be a millionaire, right, and never have to work again or make quite a bit of money on winnings over the year or just 52 quid. What would you rather have, right? He said, oh, yeah, actually, that's not a bad idea. Went and told everybody else that he knew, right? It spread like fucking wildfire, and all the radicals in, in, in the, on the shop floor were so incensed by this, they called a strike. Uh-huh. We're all out on the fucking gate, right? And the management are saying, well, we don't know where this has come from, right? And I'm stood there with my fucking head in my hands going, oh, fucking hell, you know? <laughs> Uh, I mean, the strike didn't last very long because I had to put my hand up and say it, I was I just I was just joking with somebody yeah. and yeah. he's gone and told everybody and you know thankfully nothing came of it. Oh, that's you know. brilliant! But <laughs> you see, so the, the, it is good to fact check, and for oh, that yeah. reason, I, I did check that this thing about this twisted web of who owns all these businesses and what their interests are in it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Yes, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. I, I've often thought that, you know, people talk about George Soros being this 
elderly old man who controls political situations by making donations to organizations like Antifa. I mean, Antifa started off as an anti-fascist group, basically, right? We don't like fascism. We stand against fascism, you know. Yeah. It's been taken over by people who we don't know who they are. Um, And people like Soros fund that then. Right. right? Apparently. Now, this is either some sort of game which every government in the world agrees to play, (laughs) right? Or it's just not true. Yeah. Because little old George, right? You know, what's to stop me, for example, uh, nipping down to where George lives next time he nips out, right, to get his uh, pink wafers from the co-op, right? I just put a bullet in the back of his head. What's to stop me? You know, people have assassinated kings and queens and presidents before now with masses of security around them. If George Soros was this massive problem that we're all led to believe he is, why is he still alive? Yeah, (laughs) that's a very good point. It's a game. It's a game that they all agree to play. Yeah. Otherwise, it just wouldn't happen. You know, he's not the king of another country. No. He's just a person. Yeah, he's a private individual. He's got money, but he's just a person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And ultimately, you know, I mean, if he was this much of an influence that we are led to believe, he just would have been taken out donkeys years ago. Yeah. So, I don't know. No, neither do I. (laughs) It's it's either, like I said, this massive game that these powerful elites have all agreed to play like a game of Monopoly or... It just isn't true. Mm. There's, there's nothing in between. There's no grey areas, you know. No, no, they can't be. No. And no. I know loads of people who rant and rave about George Soros, right? Oh, yeah. And every time I explain that to them, that you, you, you could literally, I mean, he's so fucking frail, you could take him out with a pea shooter, <laughs> right? And that is literally, he would have been taken out. And, yeah. And they stand there, you see the, the cogs, turning in their brains. The next thing you know, they're, they're going on about another thing that George Soros has funded, you know, oh. or somebody else has funded. Yeah. It's always money coming from somewhere in a roundabout way. And, uh... Yep. Anyway, uh, any, anything else right, before we uh, move on to your dish uh, of the day? Not particularly. Uh, Must have been some... Pool. Oh, yeah, tell us refurbished. Pool. Yeah, right. Yeah, yes. that's all done, finally. Um, I, I have noticed something about your uh, pool refurbishment. Yes. Right? You, you've told me lots about it, but haven't invited me to test it. I haven't, have I? No. no. Oh. But then I did tell you that I'm a, I'm a sinker rather than a swimmer. Oh, yes. <laughs> you probably wouldn't want to have my death on, on, your, uh, on your hands. It's okay. I've got a new diving sign and I'm lifeguard trained, so... That's right. Seriously, if I turned up there, right, and, and found that there was even the whiff of a traffic cone lurking, <laughs> well, we will have to 
cover the uh, the Michael Barrymore uh, pool death incident one day, I think. Oh, yeah. Always one of my nicknames, just be- when people found out that I had a pool. Do they? And, do they actually? Yeah. Find that? Yeah. No, that's jealous. No one's. Di- no one. For the record, no one has died in my pool. I'm glad to hear it. I've I'm nearly glad. died in my pool, but no yeah. one else. Yeah. yeah. I got stuck uh, once. Uh, but right, I, I managed right. to get I was I was fucking about really with the ladder. Oh right, yeah. Yeah, and I got stuck behind it and my head was like a centimetre above the water. Jeez. Yeah, and I had to break the ladder to it, there's a sign on the ladder saying don't swim behind it. Yeah. Uh, so it's my completely and utterly my own fault. Is so, this like a, a Welsh ladder that, that you knocked up in the shed or is it an official no, ladder? It was no. an ofi- yeah, it's, it's mm. an American ladder. Oh, that might well. be the problem. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. I but don't no, know. We'll have, to, we'll have to check with our listener. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But no, the swimming pool's running really nice. Um, it did spring a leak after it was refurbed, so they had to come mm. back and fix that. Um, right. There's a light that was installed oh. um, just so you can swim in the dark and see what mm. you're doing. The light's underwater. It's very nice. Yeah. But it's where the water return comes from the filtration system. It comes out via that. Right. And yeah. it was pissing out water out the back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there's 40,000 gallons of water in my pool. I take and it you're not on a water meter. No. But if okay. I do need to fill up my swimming pool from scratch, or if I need to empty it, I do have yeah. to inform the water board. Really? Yeah, because of the influx of... The capacity on the system. <laughs> oh, I see, because they might, uh, I suppose they might also think they've sprung a leak somewhere. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Have you seen those guys that go around with, um, it's essentially a metal rod with a, like a cup on the end of it, and they and they oh, yeah. the ground and listen for leaks. Yeah. Well, what a fucking job that is. I can do that. <laughs> you know, give me 30, 30, 40 grand a year, I'll do that. Sounds like quite a fun job. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've only got the one working here, but. You only know, need one. Exactly. But only having the one would probably make it a bit easier because you don't any interference coming in. No background noise. Exactly. I am totally qualified for that job. Right? And put an application in, mate. Put an application in. I can't believe that that's the level of the technology that we've we've reached now. Yeah. It's the same as a doctor with a stethoscope though. I mean, I know that there it's it's very different, but essentially that's what it is. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that some doctors only do that to see if you jump when it's because it's cold. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but Which no, it's look- lovely and warm. The swimming pool, the heat is yeah. working. Yeah, uh, and the water's lovely. I did have a um, steamy session in a swimming pool once, an open air pool. Oh, uh, that was awkward. I uh, bet. <laughs> well. Um, now, a mate of mine was living up on a farm near Usk, and they had an open air pool there. It wasn't a it was, wasn't a working farm; it was you know converted into oh, okay. lu- a yeah. luxury place. Really, he lived there with his wife, and um, I had this girlfriend at the time who was a bit raunchy, to say the least. Uh, right. I, I'm I'm going to call her Redhead Number One uh, out of a chain of three. Okay. Uh, she was she was a very dirty girl and right. uh, so we were up there sort of having a bit of a party just just four of us and uh we we got in the pool and um uh my mate was sort of basically down the shallow end 
Right. Uh, pretty much underwater while his wife was riding him. Oh. Uh, and I was like, well, I can't get down that end of the pool now, which is my natural thing, you know, the shallow end. Yeah. Right? So we, we were down the deep end. Now, this girl was, was sort of clinging on to the, the sort of bars, if you like, behind you. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I was sort of like frantically, you know, do, do the old breaststroke thing to, to keep the rhythm going, you know. And uh, bloody hell, honestly, I don't know how I didn't drown. But but my mate down the shallow end, he was underwater the whole time as well. And, oh, God. Uh, oh, yeah. Fair dues, like, he held his breath a long time. Yeah. You know, but uh, it was a nasty slick on that pool in the morning. Oh, you know? I don't know what it was from, but I, uh, no. clearly, the, clearly the filtration wasn't working. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, good stuff, man. And you've been yeah. doing a bit of bit of a uh, bit more session work, haven't you? Yeah. Uh, so I've been working with a few new artists. Um, had quite a few sessions come in, really recording. Uh, it's been good. Works good. It's picked up What's, quite nicely. What sort of money do you get to charge for a session these days? Uh, it depends, really. Um, I always like try and fit people's budgets, um, yeah. but normally it's like going rates for them, um, and it's not cheap. It's definitely no, no. not cheap. Um, depends on the situation, really. It's it's decent money, but it is hard work. It of course, is hard. It is. yeah. I would imagine you'd come away from there with a massive headache as well. Oh, I absolutely. Would. Yeah. yeah. So, so if they can't quite meet your budget, do you just sort of like offer to, you know, well, I'll, I'll just, I'll just play on two strings instead <laughs> of four. <laughs> uh, well, I always try. I, I like playing on other people's music. That's sort of my passion. Um, yeah. So, like a standard. I'm just looking at my rates now because I completely forgot them. My standard rate uh, is for a minimum of three hours, and that's yeah. one hundred and twenty pounds. Yeah, I think that's reasonable though. Yeah, and then I charge yeah. overtime then per fifteen minutes, and that's thirty two pound fifty then. Right. Um, and that's what I normally do. I do like an hourly rate. Um, normally, like minimum two hours if someone's got you know a budget, because I can normally get things done really quickly anyway, which is nice. Yeah, but I mean, do you, do they send you the stuff in advance or? Yeah, normally. Yeah. All oh, right. Hardly ever send me any sheet music or chords these days. They just try and get me to work it out myself. Well, I send you the track and yeah. Yeah, which I don't mind, but I like having some sort of music or, you know, even just yeah. basic chords written out just to help me. I've, nice. I've had I've had this guy asking me for about two years now to, to re- record some lead guitar on his album. Oh, and, nice. Uh, yeah, well, I don't want to do it though. Oh. Because um, how can I explain it? I I do I would do it. It's it's not that I don't like him or anything. He, he's an old mate, you know. But yeah, I just I just don't think he needs it, you know. Um, I kind of know he he's from he's from sort of like a background where Pink Floyd were his oh, thing, okay, right? Yeah. And yeah, I could I could I could do him Pink Floydy style lead breaks and rhythm yeah. and any of that that's not a problem yeah uh i just don't think that would fit the songs that he's written you know uh, yeah 
but that's kind of what he wants, really. And and you know, yeah, I, it won't go anywhere. But I, I can yeah. I kind of know what's what's happening because on a few occasions I've I've had a conversation with him. Um, he's he's told me about the his band, and and that they yeah. might they might do these original songs because, but it's just going to be played literally in in the pub next door but one to to me you know which has got a capacity crowd of like five people oh. and and I, I i don't really want to be asked to to turn up and gig you know no no because even though it would be kind of convenient i wouldn't even have to take the fan you know oh absolutely yeah it's just like but i i could be playing with my own band for a lot more money yes you yeah know? and I, and i don't want to have to say that I mean, when I, when I played for ACAB, they said to me once, because uh, I couldn't do a particular gig, one gig, yeah. they said, oh, oh, you're cherry-picking your gigs now, are you? Uh. Right? I said, I'm not cherry-picking gigs, um, but when I play a gig with you, for, I mean, this is going back like 10, 11 years ago now. Yeah. I said, when I play a gig with you for 90 quid, I'm losing money. Yes. Went, what do you mean? I said, because if I was in my workshop, right, making guitar pickups, which I should be, I yeah. charge a lot more money oh, than absolutely. 90 quid. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, it's, it's a funny industry where yeah. the rates of pay can vary phenomenally. Um, and that's got me, not me into, I haven't got myself into bad situations, but it can leave, you know, myself and other parties who have, like, you know, proposed to hire me or have hired me get into, like, you know, funny situations because of it and I've you know stopped working on projects because yeah. of it too uh, at the end of the day it is a job <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not a charity right no exactly and you know I, I used to hate being asked by people like Carl Webb for example well you know he'd say oh this is a, this this gig's for charity though you can't charge and I go <laughs> well I can fucking charge mate because yeah. otherwise I could be playing somewhere else for an awful lot more money Absolutely. than what I've quoted you, right? Oh, yeah, but you're taking money away from the charity. I, I'm sorry, but so's the fucking venue, mate. Yeah. You know? And no, no it's, it's, uh, I played for this one band years ago um, on bass, and I, I don't know why I persevered with them for two years. It might have been two and a half years. And, you know, I can remember... Um, they, they'd been, before I joined the band, they were bragging about how they'd got 50 quid for New Year's Eve oh. between them. Oh, right? oh, oh, no. Right? And this this was in, uh, um, you know, the Royal Oak on the Broadway in Cardiff? It's uh, You probably wouldn't know because you're not Cardiff. You, but... Broadway? Where's Broadway? Uh, it comes off Newport Road. and uh... Not a clue. Right, okay. Uh, I'll, show you some, <laughs> I'll show you some time. It's an iconic pub. Okay, and uh, and it you know I I enjoyed playing there, but it was a small room, and yeah. you know we it had one of these light bulbs that would come on if you were too loud. Oh, I love those. So, yeah, well, we just used to unscrew that. First, yes, exactly. You know? <laughs> uh, any, anyway, um, the the first gig I did with them, obviously it wasn't New Year's Eve. We had thirty quid and a glass. Now the glass was a pint glass that they passed round the. 30 or 40 people that were in crammed yeah. in that room. You just put a couple of two pence pieces in it. Right. And we got 30 quid between us. Oh, 
And I'm like, boys, you know, uh, I'm not a professional musician, but this just isn't really enough money. You know? yeah. And, yeah. And we did that every fucking week. We gigged somewhere for about 30 quid, 40 quid maybe. Uh-huh. And, you know, you know, there's, there's a couple of sort of like iconic venues you can play, you know, and one of them was TJ's in Newport. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. Now, if if you played in TJ's, that was a string to your bow, right? Yeah. So we got a gig in there, and and it was fucking horrible in there. But you know, it was it was it was punk scene era, you know. Yeah. Uh, we weren't a punk band, but oh no, you know, ten or ten or twenty people turned up or something like that. Um, we had four quid each at the end of the night. It's two o'clock mm. in the morning. I got four quid. The guy, the singer in the band, had had a minibus, and he charged us all two quid each for petrol. Right? Oh. right? And I went, but I came in my own car, and he went, yeah, but the deal is just two quid each because <laughs> we can't run the minibus otherwise. Oh. So even though I'd driven down there under my own expense, he had my two quid. So I had two quid left, which I spent in the Miss Millie's chicken bar the next next door oh i love a miss millie's yeah oh so i went home with no money uh and i funded my own petrol there and back oh so the next (laughs) the next week we played in in a pub opposite the great western in town in cardiff right okay uh it's not there anymore the building kind of is but it's it was a very run-down hotel, and it had a bar downstairs called the City Diplomat. Oh. And we we had this guy called Bryn who had a terrible stutter, right? And you, if you had a phone conversation with him, you'd just assume that there was something wrong with the line because that's how bad his stutter was. Oh, okay. <laughs> but somebody had asked Bryn to be the sound and lighting guy and to do posters, Right. Right. Well, he'd have these posters printed, and he he made his own lighting effects by stapling some light fittings to a plank and fitting oh. coloured light bulbs in them and some oh. switches, and he just flicked them on and off. <laughs> but but he wasn't anywhere near us because he he was like sat on a on a table, <laughs> you know. So the lights had no effect whatsoever. Having his own disco. Yeah. <laughs> But the, but the cost of those lights and and the posters he'd had printed cost him seventy five quid. Oh. So, and this this is nineteen would have been nineteen ninety five, I think. Yeah, we walked out of there with four quid each, but we had to give up two quid each for petrol. Yeah, and I went. This is the second gig on a trot. I've walked away two o'clock in the morning with two quid, two pounds in my pocket, right? And I've had to pay my own petrol because I didn't use a minibus yeah. and pay for parking, oh. right? And uh, there was there was a bit of a ruckus then. The, 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 guitar, the rhythm guitarist and the singer used to get into regular bust-ups. Right. And we didn't think anything of it because they were they were songwriters. They would write the songs, so oh, you know, it was yeah. one of those dynamics where you think, yeah. "Oh, well, they'll be mates again next week and write some more songs." You know, <laughs> um, but this this was a a major falling out, and so the guitarist sacked the singer. Oh, right now this singer, he's still I saw I saw him recently, and he's still a cunt. 
There's no no other way to describe him. He's an absolute up his own ass cunt, and he's a very ugly person too. Not a great singer, and mm-hmm. he stinks. And he's got a fucking hook nose. You know, oh, everything about him is just not what you want in a front man, right? Yeah. Uh, but the ego is unbelievable. Yeah. Anyway, he got fired from the band. So I thought that's wrong. Nobody was consulted about this. I'm going to ring him up and sympathise with him, right? Yeah. So I rang him up. I said. Simon, I said, I'm really sorry that this has happened. I don't agree with it. I think everybody should have had a sit down and ironed it all out. And um, it's made me feel like I, I really ought to lose, leave the band as well. Right? right? And do you know what he said to me? He said, well, let's face it, you'll never fucking cut it as a bass player. Oh, oh shit. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I was holding that fucking band together. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Because the two guitarists were always drunk and the drummer was tripping off his tits most of the time. <laughs> you know. So, oh, dear. God. No, I mean, I've, I've done charity gigs in the past. I'll do one completely free a year. Yeah. I'll do one performance a year free. No charge whatsoever. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. I know how charities work. I know how charity events work. Yeah. Everyone else gets paid. Of course you do. Yeah. And, and you like, know, you know, at the end of the day, uh, the person running the charity absorbs most of that money under the guise of admin. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So what, what I'm getting paid is a fucking pittance compared to that millionaire who's essentially ripping off his own charity. Yeah. I mean, I've done yeah. quite prestigious charity shows. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> like Prin- the Prince's Trust one, uh, yeah. for instance. And I got paid over a thousand pounds. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I was just in a ba- in a, a backing band. I wasn't even the in the backing band. Right, yeah. But if they can afford to pay the musicians quite well, a smaller charity or local show or, you know, they can afford to pay a, a decent sum. Of course they can. Yeah, it's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I understand, but I don't at the same time when everyone else is getting paid. Yeah. It's one of my biggest pet peeves is getting asked to work for free. Well, I discovered, uh, and I wasn't surprised, and I suspected all along, and I allowed these people to let themselves down in a way. I discovered that a certain band that we no longer mention. Yes. We're doing charity gigs where they were getting a fee and splitting it between a couple of them whilst the rest of us played for free. Oh, right. Yeah. And this happened on a number of occasions. And I, I'd actually said to the organisers, oh, geez, you know, I've forgotten what the fee was now. And they went, oh, it's so-and-so, so-and-so, don't worry about it. We've already paid you-know-who. Uh, right? Yeah. So I've never been a mug. I've allowed, no. I've, I have allowed people to show the true colours. And then oh, absolutely. that lets me decide I'm not bothering with you people. Yeah, you know? exactly. So I mean, yeah. I'm quite particular in... Even though I have to get paid for things and it's my job, so I'm always, you know, touting and looking for work. I'm very particular in sort of who I work for. 
Yeah, for right. instance, like like your band. Yeah, yeah, I've got no qualms with that. Um, I had one rehearsal, didn't I? And got yeah. to meet everyone. Job yeah. done. You know, everyone's lovely. Um, always got paid properly. Um, yeah, because yeah, that's that's fine. the way we work it. You know, I mean, exactly. You know, if if somebody says to me, like, and you've been in a situation with somebody we both know, um, can you play for so and so so and so? And you think, Jesus Christ, um, that's a lot of work to do. Right? Oh I mean, yes, like to learn all this stuff, and then you know, you say, well, well, what's the fee? And you go. You should do it for the kudos, mate. Oh, I, I remember. Not fucking this, doing yeah. it for the fucking kudos. Yeah, no, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. So it was, yeah, it was for a, a decent, well, well-respected, well-known band, wasn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I'd never heard of, sadly. Yeah. <laughs> That's my fault. But yeah, completely free to learn a whole set that I'd only played once. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then they came back with an offer of forty pounds. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, and and you cross-checked with yeah. somebody else who'd been asked. I did, yes. Who was being offered more money. Yes. And that is disgusting. I think it that's is. absolutely it really disgusting. Is. Yeah. Now, I said to the, the, the guy who'd contacted you, who shall remain nameless, right, is, yeah. is a very good, an old friend of mine, a little bit naive. Yeah. He, he was being told that he was going to have to fund this, right? And it wasn't even his fucking gig. Right, this and I said to him, "This isn't your fucking problem, mate, and you shouldn't be putting your hand in your pocket." Well, no, you're not no. the promoter. The other guy is the promoter. It's his fucking problem. All yeah. he's done is ask you to try and find some musicians that will do this, and you shouldn't be thinking that you have to fund it or try and get it done for free. No, right? he's just the not between. your fucking problem. And I said to him, I said, because, you know, he's a train driver, right? I said, if somebody said to you, right, mate, we want you to drive from Land's End to John O'Groats in um, the Mallard or the Flying Scotsman, right? You've never driven a steam engine. These are irreplaceable. Yeah. You've got a huge responsibility. Do not fuck it up, Right. Yeah. Oh, uh, and you should just do it for the kudos. What would you say? You said, I'll do it for the kudos. I said, what? Are you telling me you would do that for free? Yeah. I said, but what if they said to you, um, you're going to need to take two days off, right? And you're not going to get paid your day job money. Yeah. Right? I said, that's what it is. I said, if, if people, you're asking people to play for the kudos, right? play for free when they've got to do a lot of work to learn all that shit that they're never going to possibly never going to play again. Yeah. Right. And they have to stop doing their paid work to be able to do it. Exactly. So I'm sorry, but kudos, it's not worth a wank. No, it's not worth a wank. Exactly. Uh, That's one of the reasons I charge for rehearsals now. Yeah. Right. If people want me to work with them, I charge for the rehearsals. Um, Obviously, if it's someone that I've been working with before and it's just, you know, a change of set, yeah. um, I won't do that because it's a promise of future work. But, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you, like I say, with our lot, you know, you are the DAP. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, I mean, like, 
Yeah, I know we had a, another dap, uh, Louis, but um, Louis formed his own band now, and he's busy with that. Ooh, so that's cool. even though they're not gigging, um, oh. well, they can't gig. None, none of no. us can gig, can we? No, we're not so, allowed. <laughs> so, you know, I've I've said straight off. I said, look, you know, I've told Phil anyway. He's number one dap. I said, if if Phil can't do it, don't tell tell me to go and find some other dap because I'm not going to, you know. <laughs> It's just, it's just don't do the gig. Yeah. Um, so like they've got this current thing at the moment where they want to do as many gigs as possible. And if people can't afford the band, they'll offer a, a reduced lineup at a reduced fee. Okay. Right. Mm. Yeah. But it's not okay. Right? No. <laughs> now, um, the current, you know, the, our regular bass player, came up with this idea that it was only it's only fair um that if you're going to drop if you're going to drop any musicians from your lineup you know the the obvious thing to me is drop two of the brass players right yeah right but apparently that's not fair right no. so they come up with the idea of dropping um either the guitar or the keyboard oh. right well, all those songs that we do are for a band with keyboards and guitar. Yeah. Right? What are you going to fucking do now? <laughs> right? But it also means that bass, drums, and the singer will be at every gig. Right? So <sighs> I'm like, hang on a minute. So I, I, rang, I rang the singer. I said, um, what do you think of this idea? Oh, it's a great idea. He says, because, you know, we could do lots more gigs. And, you know, I said, what? Who's we? Chemo Sabi. I said, because, you know, a lot of those gigs, I'm not going to be there. Yeah. Right? Because either I get dropped or Joe gets dropped. Exactly. And he went, yeah. He went, oh, yeah, but you'd be able to do like, you know, maybe 50% of them. I said, mate, you're not paying attention. I fucking started this band. It's my fucking band. <laughs> I said, who, who is this guy to say I get dropped and he does all the gigs? Right. Yeah. Now I'm not going to kick off about it because I've decided that I'm going to let Joe do them all. You know. Okay. But but that is taking money out of my pocket. Yeah. Because you should. I my argument is: do not offer reduced price gigs for a reduced lineup. You are dumbing down the product. Product, right? And you could end up being in a situation where people go, "Oh, we'll just have the cheap version." You know. Of and course. then what happens then? Do they eventually have a backing track going as well? <laughs> you know, like the duelers do? So it's just uh, Pete and Tiber. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I forgot you know? about that. Yeah. yeah, well, that's where this stupid idea came from, right? Oh, no. Yeah. Oh. So, uh, hey, I, I, that's, that's my fucking issue at the moment with that. Yeah. Uh, and I keep seeing it all the time on the, on the Messenger, you know, Gigs, reduced price, reduced band, lineup, gigs being offered out, right? Instead right. of holding firm and saying, no, even for weddings, this oh. one comes through today, wedding. Oh, yeah, well, we can do a reduced lineup. I will not be taking part in that. No. Simple as. And so what I've decided is in my diary, because I've been asked, I was asked, I don't know if this was a genuine thing, I think it was, to, to be lead guitar in another ska band. Oh, nice. Um, but I might just slip in there with on gigs when my band is, 
yeah. wanting to play without me, right? Yeah. And then I can carry on doing gigs and be local and have a bit of fun with another band. Yeah. You know? That sounds uh, fun. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. You know, it's just at the moment I just think, you know, the, the, I mean, we got to thank the government again for this, killing the fucking music scene. Oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> They've fucking done that deliberately because they think we don't pay tax. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, anyway. some of us don't. The high majority do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Same as any industry. Of course it is. But like, say for example, if if you are one of those sort of like musicians that that's your only source of income, right? You can earn up to twelve grand a year anyway without qualifying to pay yeah, tax, exactly. right? Yeah. And some people live on twelve thousand pound a year. Yeah. Yeah. But they would still assume that you're hiding a load more money. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Fun and games in the music industry. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> Winke, 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 denn zum Winken gibt es immer einen Grund. Geh an Frauen, nie vorüber, ohne einen zarten Wink mit einem Blick. Und ich führt ein kleines, zartes, ganz diskretes und apartes Winke, winke, ins Glück. Right. So we've got our lovely Nazi section of the week. <laughs> your your choice. My choice this week, yes. And we've got John Raab, or Rabe, or Raab. I did do it. So. Yeah. Yeah. John Heinrich Detlef Raab, born 23rd of November, 1882. So a little bit different, not a well-known Nazi, you know, comparable to the high command or, or anything really, um, but an important figure nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, so he's a German businessman and a Nazi party member originally. So essentially, he's quite famous for sort of doing one thing during the war and nothing else uh, really. Um, but the thing that he did... Um, it is quite astonishing and quite different to what you'd expect an actual Nazi to do. Yeah. And that's why I think this person is quite interesting and quite good for this sort of section of the podcast, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. let's, let's, let's be fair. I mean, every time we've picked a Nazi, we've sort of tried to find something about them that is good. Yes. And... You know, which which you probably wouldn't have had, say, at a Nuremberg trial. And, exactly. You know, yeah. un- unfortunately, we've failed to exonerate any of them so far. Yeah, every single time we've failed. Um, but this guy might be different. <laughs> might be, yeah. Um, be. Quite quite an interesting character. Um, and like I said, not a well-known one in most, you know, normal historical circles. Yeah. And, you know, 
just for the general public, really. Yeah, because most of the time when you mention Nazis, people say, oh, surely there was only like 10 of them, weren't there? <laughs> yeah. yeah, when there was hundreds of thousands. <laughs> yeah, so um, he's a businessman, um, essentially, just li- living in Germany um, and worked for Siemens, which is a very nice company. <laughs> yes, uh, they have no history at all, do they, with uh, Nazism? Oh, uh, oh no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. That could be another topic for another Nazi. <laughs> could well be. Yeah. Um, essentially, though, he, he was a businessman um, and joined the Nazi Party. Um, so, not a military connection, not military. Um, or sort of civil sort of defence service or anything like that, just as a businessman um, sort of in the actual party itself. Yeah. As it started, really, as the political organisation, which is a little bit different to most of the ones that we featured before, um, where they had sort of a strong military connection for the most, or sort of, you know, essentially sort of working for the ministry. Yeah. Yeah. what we have really um, is quite—I don't know how to really say it. Really, quite a quite a different sort of take on the war from this person's perspective. Really, yeah. Um, so, like I say, he was born in Hamburg, uh, worked for Siemens, um, and sort of travelled the world doing that, um, but mainly to Asia. Um, so working in uh, China uh, mainly um, and just like any sort of not a traveling salesman you know a, a rep of the company as they would say I don't know if they'd yeah. say it back then like yeah. that a representative of the company's interests in China which is all yeah. lovely um, and going you know that's that's interesting itself because I didn't even know that there were any Germans in China no um when I was reading it, really, I thought it was a bit weird that they that he would be there. But you know, from a business interest, I can I can understand why. I mean, were were Siemens, <laughs> you know, what were they a communications company back then, and was it like telephony or something that that they were <laughs> trying that, to really. sell to the Germans or uh, to the Chinese? I mean, I don't know really. Um, Siemens, I mean, you know, radios, cable, yeah. e- even just basic cable. They, yes. they built yeah, yeah. they built every part um, really well from the ground up, really. Transmitter yeah. receivers down to little fuses for their radio right. boxes. So, so really, I suppose China was a, a good market for them, really. Absolutely, yeah. I, yeah, they've got to have been. And he was the top guy out there uh, representing the company. So can't fault them for that. And, you know, his background as being a businessman, he's he quite... Quite well-renowned, um, quite a formative figure in the local community where he came from. Um, and that's the only thing so far is that he joined as a member of the Nazi party. Yeah. Yeah. So, as we said, so he was actually out in China uh, and Asia, um, working out there for Siemens. Um, and he was reportedly to be a, a staunch Nazi and the party's local head 
um, and served as the deputy group leader in the Nazi party in the area that he was. Right. So, sort of, I've sort of sort of worked it out as like a conservative, like a conservative club, um, yeah. where yeah. you'd have sort of you know Nazi member clubs, uh, and yeah. he was in charge or deputy in charge of the division or club um, in that area. Really, that's how I sort of seen it, um, and a, reportedly a staunch Nazi. <laughs> Now, he was working out in in Asia, and he was in Nanking. I've got to say, I've always thought it was Nanking, and it it always seems to be spelt Nanking. Yeah, it's Nanying, isn't it? Nanjing. Nanjing, Nanjing. you pronounce it, yeah. Yeah. I don't get that. No, It's spelled with a fucking J, isn't it? Oh, I know. (laughs) But yeah, he was working out there. Um, actually at the time um, that the attack from the Japanese forces happened there. He, but he'd been there a lot longer, hadn't he? I think Absolutely. Didn't he sort of go out there in 1908 or something like that? He'd been back and forth for years. Back and forth Yeah, because, uh, I mean, you know, there was the... Um, there, was a, there was a Chinese dynasty called the Boxers, wasn't there? Yes. And... The, the sort of empress, if you like, uh, had died, and her successor was her two-year-old daughter. You know, and yeah. and like a lot of sort of dynasties, they end up in a massive power struggle, and yeah. of course, so there'd been a civil war, hadn't there? Yeah. yeah, I mean, in China at that time, it was an absolute nightmare, really, and. Yeah different factions started sort of popping up. Um, and it was basically, uh, I've been, what was it the other day? Um, I kick-started, um, gave donations to a book about this. It was The All Warlords right. of China yeah. during that time. Um, and it seems like it's going to be a really good book when it comes out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there was different factions popping up, controlling different parts, all had different powers. Sort of basically trying to start their own republics inside of China itself. <laughs> but I think um, by, by uh, oh, was it, I think 37 or something like that, it, it, it was unified again. Yes, it, yeah. yeah. It, 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 I don't know if it was the People's It's never the People's Republic, but... No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> yeah, they sort of come back, come back together, um, reunified. Is that the... Yeah, I think that's the correct word. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, you know, he, he'd been all around the world, um, essentially, you know, representing Siemens. Um, but when he was in Nanyang, good pronunciation, um, he was there at the time of the Japanese attack. And this is quite a famous uh, attack, really. Um, yeah. Infamous, I should say. Um, and it's absolutely horrific. Um, and the actual name is the Nanyang Massacre. That's right. Or the Rape of Nanyang. Yes. Um, yeah. As we know, and as most listeners should know, or should really research into, is the atrocities um, committed by the Japanese forces um, during that war. Uh, absolutely horrific in yeah. all circumstances and... I think we touched a little bit about it um, a few podcasts ago with 
um, Germany, you know, trailing uh, chemicals. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, the Japanese to use on civilians, um, yeah. which is horrific. And this is sort of goes along to the, the same thing again, uh, really. Uh, and it's absolutely horrific. Um, so Japan was trying to just force their way through, um, as they do uh, during war. Um, China is sort of not really a, I wouldn't say a large um, sort of defensive position that they had, but they were doing their best um, to fend off whatever they could. Um, but they were moving forward um, and just blasting their way through China as best as possible, really. They had the forces behind them um, to back them up. Um, and they came to the actual city of Nanyang um, and demanded surrender for the forces and the people inside. Yeah. Um, surrender within 24 hours or no mercy uh, if the offer is refused, um, which is absolutely horrible. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely horrible. Um, while that was happening, uh, there were committee members inside the actual city um, who proposed a sort of ceasefire um, so that people could sort of get out of the way and escape um, civilians and sort of Chinese troops as well and just sort of maybe let them have the city if it was empty um, just to stop the bloodshed really. Um, yeah. Didn't work, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, but this is where our Nazi comes in. Um, so essentially, he, he was there at the time that this was happening, um, definitely wasn't happy about the situation and what was promised by the Japanese forces that was going to happen to the population and the forces inside the city. Yeah. Um, and he boarded the US gunboat Panay and sent two telegrams. And these are quite very important telegrams. Um, one via the American ambassador and one to the Japanese military authority in Shanghai, yeah. outlining that this is morally just wrong and shouldn't happen, and that, you know, promising to attack civilian forces and promising to do all the heinous things that they had done um, and that they would do, uh, you know, is not on uh, against any sort of convention that the world has got to offer. Um, yeah. And coming from a Nazi uh, is quite sort of funny, really, the way that they sort of pillage their way through uh, Europe. <laughs> it sort of yeah. shines in a different light, you know, when they went through um, the whole of mainland Europe, really, and especially France. Yeah. Um, it, it just reflects badly. Um, so the Japanese awaited an answer uh, to their demand of surrender. But they didn't. Uh, they didn't respond. One, um, the deadline passed, and they started bombing the city, um, artillery and aerial bombardment, um, anything or anyone um, that they saw um, in military uniform was just shot dead, um, just on sight. Yeah. Um, and anyone who was in civilian clothing as well, who they thought might have been um, part of the resistance or part of the Chinese forces, were shot on site as well. Yeah, um, because do you know what? Um, 
Do you know what the test was to, to decide whether a Chinese man was a soldier or not? No. What was that? Well, they looked for calluses on their hands that showed they'd been using rifles. Oh, right. right. Uh, except that where that test falls down is that almost all Chinese men were laborers of some sort, whether it be agricultural oh. or anything. Yeah. And they, they all had calluses. Had calluses. And so they just lined up thousands of people and machine gunned them on the strength that they had blisters on their fucking hands. I've got blisters on my hands from playing bass. You'd have been dead. Yeah. You'd have been dead. It's absolutely horrific. Absolutely yeah. horrific. Uh, so, yeah. So they're just killing everyone, um, essentially, um, following any sort of retreating uh, Chinese military units. Um, and trying to wipe them out as quickly and as efficiently as possible. Um, unfortunately, um, some, not all, um, civilians were sort of trying to get evacuated out and escape. Uh, a lot of wealthy did, some middle class, but more than three quarters of the population had fled, which is good. But yep. it left really the majority of the middle class and the poor and the most destitute uh, lowest class of people at the time uh, in the city, uh, which is horrible to think, really. Mm. Um, I'm going to read a quote here uh, about the actual massacre, which is very important. Okay. Um, eyewitness accounts of Westerners and Chinese present at Nanyang in the weeks after the fall of the city say that over the course of six weeks following the fall of Nanyang, Japanese troops engaged in mass rape, murder, torture, theft, arson, and other war crimes. Some of these primary accounts, including the diaries of John Rabe, an American mini Vautrin, came from foreigners who opted to stay behind to protect the Chinese civilians from harm. Other accounts include first-person testimonies of Nanyang massacre survivors, eyewitness reports of journalists, both Western and Japanese, as well as the field diaries of military personnel from both sides, American missionaries. And it was quite well recorded um, by uh, film. Um, yep. There is a documentary that was made about that. Uh, well, I understand so, our, our potential Nazi here. Uh, actually filmed quite a few of these things himself. Yes, he had his own camera. Yeah. Um, and just the outrage, and like I said, he tried to warn the Japanese government not to do it, to try and get the Americans involved. And as a Nazi, that's quite, quite different to the sort of thoughts that you would expect a Nazi to go through while his own party yeah. and country are doing the same to numerous other nations. But when it's sort of being done under sort of you know under his nose while he's there uh, he's sort of taking it uh differently so to speak i think didn't he um send i think he sent communications to directly to hitler didn't he yes yeah and got no reply no reply whatsoever so he tried yeah. to explain you know this is what's happening this has to stop uh, they have to be warned and stopped and just to you know get them to back off and just nothing ever came back yeah. Um, I don't know. No one will ever know if that ever got to Hitler himself or it was stopped or, you know. 
some something else happened to that. Um, but apparently, and according to uh, Reeb, uh, it resulted the actual massacre uh, resulted in the deaths of fifty to sixty thousand civilians. So not soldiers, yeah. civilians. Um, yeah. And he the, tried, the, Yeah. No, no. He he did have his own sort of um, quite large house with a you know a walled compound, didn't he? Yes. And uh, I and from my understanding that he allowed civilians to shelter there. Yeah. I mean, uh, fair play to him. He tried. Um, if he was caught or, you know, if the political climate was different and he was sort of, you know, seeing if the Japanese had thought, you know, he was harbouring these people, um, God knows what would have actually happened. Um, well, apparently some uh, some of the Japanese did... Uh, were convinced that he was harboring Chinese troops. Yes, and uh, <laughs> you know that caused a, a number of problems. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I mean, there's got to be some sort of political pressure being put on, um, or you know, from Japanese high command that he is, you know, a Nazi Party member, and they're allied with with them. Uh, and Japan, I think that, yeah. that probably is what saved him. Yeah, really. Um, you know, if he was but, a British person or, you know, someone somewhere else that had no oh, affiliation, I, yeah. I think that would have been the end of him, really. The question is, why did he take it upon himself to try and save any of the civilians anyway? I, this this isn't your typical Nazi, is no, it? No, I, I think it's got something to do with him being a civilian himself, really. And sort of not being right. in the same situation, but being in as close as, well, in the proximity of it happening, really. That, you know, if it could happen to them, it could happen to me, maybe. Yeah. Um, I, I'm really not sure. Um, some modern estimates um, put the number of murdered civilians um, as high as 300,000. Um, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised because, no. you know, it's not like they had a, a census. No, uh, exactly. And then- Exactly. Or took a register and then figured out who was missing afterwards. No. Uh, like we said, you know, he's trying to help save people. Um, he tried to appeal to the Japanese using his Nazi party credentials, um, right. which worked kind of. So it delayed them, but it didn't actually stop the attack or the massacre. Um, but that delaying tactic, um, some of, some sort of experts sort of say, that he saved, you know, 200 to 250,000 um, Chinese civilians. Um, but who knows the actual number, uh, really? Yeah, I I wonder, you know, because we do know that the Germans had a habit of inflating figures. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, for propaganda purposes. Can't, I just can't imagine, I mean, the size of this, compound he must have had and the buildings within that he could get 200,000 people in there. Think of the size of a football stadium. Yeah. You know, um, I just, I just can't see that he got 200,000 people in that compound. No, I highly doubt it. I mean, he could, he could have got quite a few in there, but perhaps he sort of established or helped, you know, some sort of escape routes. I don't city. know. I mean, when you think about it, right, you've got to feed those people too. 
Yeah, exactly. That's a lot of people to feed. And, you know, they. I think he, um, out in sort of one of the outside areas, they uh, put up um, a, a great big Nazi flag, right? Yeah. Um, so it could be seen from the air. So they laid, oh. sort of laid it flat on. On the roof, um, yeah. You know, uh, it was in the open air. Um, I think they just suspended it by four corners on some posts. And and some of the people felt that that was the safest place to be because it wouldn't be bombed from the air. <laughs> right? But we all know that aerial bombing just wasn't even slightly accurate. No, it, it, so, no, definitely not. I, I just wouldn't have been under that flag. I'd have been in a cellar somewhere. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, the same happened to um, POW camps in Germany uh, with British troops and British airmen stuck yeah. in there. Uh, new, a lot of those were bombed by Allied Bomber Command by accident. Yep. Yeah. Because there's no accuracy, <laughs> unfortunately. No, no. Uh, technology hadn't advanced uh, far enough. Um and that's what happened now, there, unfortunately. I, I did actually watch a, a documentary about the rape of Nanjing. Um, and I've read a couple of books in the past that have mentioned it. Yeah. And, you know, there are plenty of photographs out there Yeah. of the atrocities. I, I don't know if you've seen them, but... I've seen a few. It, it's very well documented, um, which is surprising, but especially at the time, really. Okay, so what the Japanese were doing, um, they were having little competitions to see who could behead the most people. Marvellous. Right? Um, I saw one photograph of a Chinese man in a kneeling position who had been beheaded, and he was still in the kneeling position, minus head and neck. Right? There's another photograph of a Chinese woman who, if you just look at her face, was the most pretty example of Chinese woman. But you can see that the sword has passed right through her neck Mm. and her head has almost completely come off to one side. There's a hand on her head and one on her throat, right? And And the sword has passed right through. Oh wow! This is what these people did. They were yeah. fucking animals. They they raped women of all ages. Yeah, and even girls who were too young to have, you know, fully formed genitalia. Yeah, they opened them up with bayonets so that they could rape them. Yeah, right. And then they killed multiple women by shoving bayonets up their vaginas. You know, and and that was just the women. That the men. Yeah. As I said, you've got blisters on your hands, you're going to be executed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's one of, if the not, the worst uh, atrocity of the war. Uh, mm. One of the worst of all time. Um, especially being it as it is in the modern era. Yeah. Um, it's not that long ago. Yeah, in the grand scheme it. of things, it's, it's not, not that long ago. No. And... Um, now, my understanding with John Raab was that he quite often actually put himself at enormous risk. You know, he was unarmed. He just had a Nazi uniform on. Yeah. 
with a, or with an armband, yeah, a swastika armband, and he would go and challenge Japanese soldiers to get away from the compound or to stop yeah. killing people. He, he'd interfere, <laughs> essentially. And, and, and apparently, they did what he told them. Yeah, yeah. It must be something to do with you know political power, really. Um, perhaps they thought he was high up the the low ranking Japanese forces. Perhaps they thought he was high ranking. Perhaps they didn't want yeah. to embarrass the Germans uh, or the Nazis, I should say. Um, but that's what I think, anyway. That it's something to do with some sort of like political push, yeah. Um, really, that sort of helped him sort of survive in that area and allowed him to help save uh, so many people. So my guess is that the the total of people that he, he supposedly saved, I, I think he's adding in people that were about to be machine gunned or something or raped and then and then he's he's gone and challenged these Japanese soldiers and, and they've buggered off. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have stood there and, you know, made a note of how many people he'd just saved. No. I mean, uh, it's, yeah. Again, you know, I I find these figures just can't be realistic. But no, I I don't think I mean, so. Look, but they, I think that there were a lot of people that he did save. I mean, hardly anybody should have him, right? Yeah. But everybody should have Oscar Schindler. Yeah. Right. How many people did Schindler save? Oh, <laughs> nothing in comparison to uh... <laughs> twelve hundred people. Yeah. 1,200. Yeah, nothing in comparison. This guy's claiming 200,000. Yeah. I, I just, I just, I, I don't no. buy it. I don't buy it. No. After uh, the uh, massacre, um, he left <laughs> um, and returned uh, to Germany. Yeah. Um, he took a lot of his material with him, so his films and documentation that he had made and records and his diaries. Um, yeah. He took them with him. Um, he showed them uh, in public, uh, in presentations. Um, and like you said, you know, wrote to Hitler asking him to use his influence. Um, and he was detained and arrested by the Gestapo because of it. Now that's weird in itself, isn't it? Why would, why would the Gestapo arrest him for that i mean it, it just seems like well hang on he's one of us yeah yeah exactly yeah he's you know he was deputy of his regional branch of the nazi party um bit of a problem though if you're if you're sh if you're going on the lecture circuit showing films of japanese soldiers massacring the chinese um that's a bit like showing german soldiers massacring Russians or uh, Russian civilians yeah. or Jews or yes, you know, whatever. exactly. Yeah, I mean, Japan and Germany were allied, um, and I think it's sort of shown it, you know, it's shown the actual German public, you know, the atrocities that Nazi Germany's friends are doing, yeah, um, right. and the actual Nazi government aren't saying or doing anything about it, exactly because you know. If anything, they're going to endorse it rather than criticise it. That's their ally. Exactly, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, yeah, so he was detained and interrogated. Uh, the letter he wrote to Hitler uh, apparently was never delivered. Um, so that was lost, essentially, and destroyed. Um, he was released um, thanks to his bosses uh, in Siemens, which yeah. is funny how a private company can sort of push the secret police around a little bit. Yeah, it's strange that, especially, you know, as, as surely they have no connection to the Nazi party. Oh, absolutely none. No. I no. Mean, you know, they just make, you know, equipment. And yeah, ra- radios and yes. yeah, yeah. telephones. Exactly. <laughs> so he was released um, and he was allowed to keep the evidence of the massacre apart from the films. But he was told never uh, to lecture or write about the subject again. So he was right. censored, really. Yeah. Uh, and as we know, everything that sort of went against the narrative was censored. Um, but he continued working for Siemens. Um, uh, same role as before as a representative. Um, but they moved him to Afghanistan, um, sort of away from Germany, just so he could have a break and sort of be in relative safety. Now, again, I always considered Afghanistan to have been a place that was pretty much overruled by the British at the time. So I was really quite surprised to yes. yeah. see that. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, a little bit of history there. Anyone who, anyone who has actually tried to invade Afghanistan properly has failed. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, from back, you know, hundreds of years ago to the modern day, it never works. Um, but yeah, um, Afghanistan and the, you know, with the British sort of in there, especially at that time, uh, is a bit funny. Uh, As a private citizen, I can sort of understand how we might have been safer there, even if the British or allies were there at the same time. Um, Mm. you know, seemingly working for Siemens, um, you know, doing a, doing his job really. Well, maybe they were neutral. Um, so in the same way that, um, you know, British and Germans were rubbing shoulders in places like Switzerland. Possibly, and, uh, yeah. Places like I, Morocco and stuff, you know. I know that we had a lot of oil from Afghanistan um, yeah. during the war. The Allies had a lot of oil there and they didn't yeah. give any to the Nazis. Um, you know, the same as in, like you said, Morocco. It was sort yeah. of neutral, a uh, bit of espionage going on here and there. A little bit. A little Spain bit. Spain as well, I think. Yes, you know? yeah, exactly. Um, but they were all rubbing shoulders in those were. places. I, I guess in Afghanistan must have been similar. I, I think know. so, yes. Uh, so what, 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 was he, what did he do while he was in Afghanistan then? Was that just to keep him out of the way until the end yeah, of the war? Yeah, so keep him out of the way of the Gestapo and possibly to keep him uh, sort of safe somehow there, uh, just yeah. so he was away from the action. Um, unfortunately, that didn't really go to plan, um, and he was returned and worked in uh, the headquarters in Berlin until the end of the war. Right, yeah. So he yeah. did waltz back, I suppose. <laughs> um, nothing happened uh, for the rest of the war, um, personally, really. Affected him, but after the war, um, he was arrested first, and this is where the story get, sort of jumps up a little bit. He was first arrested by the Soviet NKVD. Yeah, 
Um, which I wouldn't want to uh, be arrested no. at all. No, well, no, no, not one little bit. Uh, and so but we, they must have let they must have let him go. Uh, they must have just thought, no, this you know, there's nothing here. <laughs> I mean, we we've talked about you know in our previous uh, previous segments of this of people running away from these particular Russians uh, yeah. before and doing a lot to get away from them to stop being captured. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, he was arrested by them and then arrested by the British. Um, but that's what he, I mean. It, like the Soviets must have said, oh, it's okay, you can go, you know. Yeah. For him yeah. to then be arrested by the British, he would have presumably been in a, a different area of Berlin. I'd, yeah, you'd think yeah. so. Yeah, he'd have to yeah. be, have been in the West. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they interrogated him uh, intensely, apparently. Um, but they let him go. Um, which is very surprising, but he wasn't really affiliated militarily uh, yes. with the Nazi yeah. party. And like I've said previously, a private citizen who was I a member it, of a political organisation. Yeah, and I suppose as a businessman, he's not an engineer that, that the Soviets could have used no. his knowledge about Siemens products. No, exactly, exactly, yeah. yeah. He had nothing to offer, so to speak. Uh, he worked then for Siemens, uh, not earning much, um, unfortunately, um, working for them. And later on, he was denounced by an acquaintance for his Nazi party membership. Yeah, yeah. but but it, it was a common thing to be a member of the Nazi party. It was, it, you know, yeah. It, it was I mean, almost... What choice did you have, essentially? Yeah. Not very much. No. Not very much. And I hear this argument all of the time. If I was in if I was in Nazi Germany, I would have stood up to them, I would have fought back. Would would we all? I, I don't know when it's the safety of our families, friends and acquaintances and you've got all this going on. What good could you do in that situation? Well, assume for a minute, uh, you know, if you look at our current situation, right, we're, we're in a situation where we are being encouraged to turn on people who haven't had a vaccine, right? Yes. So I don't want to be turned on. What's the safest thing then? Oh, well, I'll, I'll have the vaccine. It's a similar thing. They were turning on people who weren't members of the Nazi party, um, yeah. and it was safer to be in the party. It didn't mean you were going to be going and killing Jews or no. anything like that. I mean, yeah. look at the actual number of military, actual personnel that Nazi Germany had. Yeah. yeah. Not all of those were Nazis. <laughs> no, no, but they were all members of the party. They had you know. to be. Yeah. Yeah, otherwise it wouldn't work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so he lost his work permit that he was given uh, by the British in the... Uh, area that they were occupied. Um, just a, a little bit of a fact here. Um, my father, when he was uh, first joined the army, uh, he worked in the British occupation zone in the 1960s, yeah. Uh, yeah. which was still set up. It was very different, but it, we were still occupying Germany. Yes. Uh, yeah. Which is fun. And he caught a Russian spy who would come he? across in a car with an East German number plate on his car. <laughs> Oh, not the <laughs> sharpest tool in the shed then. No. 
No, absolutely not. And I just find that story absolutely hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, you have to undergo lengthy denazification. Um, so this was sort of a, uh, I don't know what the word would be, project, course, um, to basically denazify yourself and get you back into a sort of normal life and back into the general population. Um, his first attempt at this uh, denazification was rejected and he had to appeal because uh, he couldn't work otherwise. Um, yeah, yeah. And he actually spent all of his savings uh, defending this and it didn't work. Um, and his savings spent, um, he was really sort of down, really down on his ass, really. Um, unfortunately, um, he sold uh, his Chinese art collection, but it was not enough money to stave off malnutrition. Um, I didn't know that he brought anything back. Obviously, he didn't bring anything back that was very uh, expensive or anything that had any decent history. Um, if he couldn't afford to sort of pay that off and um, to actually live properly and eat properly. Um, he was formally declared denazified by the British, um, yeah. but continued to live in uh, poverty. Um, his family allegedly um, survived on wild seeds uh, and his children eating soup and dry bread um, until those run out. Yeah. Now, this is where it turns a little bit and it's sort of a feel-good story for a moment. Um, the citizens of Nanyang learned um, of the dire situation of himself and his family and raised uh, quite a lot of money um, to give to him, uh, really, uh, yeah. to help him, you know, get back up on his feet and survive, really. Uh, I, I know I know he would get regular food parcels from people. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, just for the work that, you know, that he did in Nanyang uh, and his yeah. reputation from that. Uh, the city's mayor travelled to Germany uh, via Switzerland, uh, bought large amount of food for his family, um, and that was uh, up until the communist takeover. Um, yeah. Yet they sent him uh, numerous food packages, um, and he always uh, apparently wrote back uh, with deep gratitude as well. Yeah, yeah. which is quite nice. Yeah, uh, that he you know saved the people of the city, and they were sort of repaying the debt, so to speak, you know, by helping him to survive himself. Yeah, yeah. Um, it shows quite a lot of human compassion, really. Definitely. Uh, on the 5th of January, 1950, um, Rob died of a stroke. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't very, wasn't that old, really, was he? No, he wasn't that old. Um, was he I mean, he had quite a stressful life, to be fair. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, no, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and essentially, what we've got here then is a little bit about um, sort of his legacy going onwards. Then uh, his tombstone yeah. um, was actually moved uh, from Berlin to Nanjing in 1997, yeah. um, where it's actually in place at the memorial uh, for the massacre. No, I've seen that. Um, there's. Uh, on that memorial, they claim there were three hundred thousand massacred. Oh, and 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 if you if you look at the um, memorial 
itself. Um, yes. I'm, I'm trying to think now um, what it actually says, because it's, it's in Chinese, obviously, but there's English as well, oh. right? Not, not German, by the way, but it's written in English as well. And they've made a spelling mistake. Oh. Uh, and and covered it over with a bit of paper with the with the right oh, no. letters on it. Yeah, yeah. It's really, oh. I was laughing when I saw that. I cannot but laugh. Oh, that's uh, oh, that's terrible. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, look, he had a really remarkably expensive looking gravestone. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, personally, I think he was probably paid for. Um, maybe via donations by the people of Nanyang or people, you know, supported and Yeah, I, I, that, I, I think they actually I mean I'm I'm not convinced it's the original stone, but whatever. No it's, it's a nice it's a really nice touch by yes. the Chinese. Absolutely. Um I I don't know, how do you feel about this guy? Oh is it is there, is there anything else about him that we know? I really don't know. I really don't know what to think about this person. Um, he's done a lot of good. Uh, maybe it was overinflated. Um, but there are sort of facts there that he did save uh, X amount of people um, from the atrocities that the Japanese forces um, were putting on Nanying. Um, I really don't know. Um, particularly. Right, well, I'm going to throw a spanner in the works here, right? right. Um, okay, so I don't believe the figures that he's quoting as having saved. No. As he, you know, I don't believe for one minute he saved that many people himself. No. There may have been that many people who managed to evacuate the city. Yeah. And and he may have had something to do with holding up the Japanese to let them Escape. those people evacuate. Yeah. They were civilians. I mean, you know, the the Japanese essentially wanted to kill every Chinese soldier, right? Every single one of them. Yes. They they weren't taking prisoners. No. Uh John Raab didn't try to save any Chinese soldiers. No. He stated quite openly that the people he was trying to save were the people that worked for him. <laughs> right? Yeah. He was not the only one. There were many other foreign nationals there yes. in that compound that were also helping to shield and save those people. Don't get a fucking mention. No. Right? It's all about him. All right? Um Now, yes, he got arrested by the Gestapo when he got back to Germany. Why? Because he was slagging off the Japanese. Yeah. And he had filmed it. I mean, we're talking about an extensive film collection. Yes. It's not just I one, think there's, you know, one minute clip. It's, no. It's like a documentary's worth. <laughs> yeah. And but, more. But let's put this into perspective, right? When I was a youngster, um, the only, just about the only thing on telly on a Sunday night was 
David Attenborough, you know, on some sort of safari somewhere. Yeah. And I can remember once watching um, some lions chasing down a wildebeest and killing it. And, and then, you know, once they'd had their fill, the hyenas moved in and they had some. And I hated watching that. I hated watching it. And I can remember saying to my father, why aren't they intervening to save that wildebeest? Right? Why? They're just sitting there fucking filming it. Yeah. Right? Now, his answer was, well, the wildebeest is part of the food chain, right? And they they probably feel that they shouldn't interfere with nature, right? Yeah. It's just like... For example, if you took out all the wildebeest, the lions would die. Yes. Uh, If the lions aren't making kills, all the hyenas will die. Yeah, exactly. So so there is an argument for, in a David Attenborough documentary, of filming the chase and the kill, right, and not interfering. Yeah. But to be filming an atrocity right, that's been done by one of your fucking allies. Yeah. I, I I just find that bizarre. It's almost like, to me, oh, I've got a scoop, right? Uh, yeah. It's like people these days, somebody gets hit by a bus, they don't use their phone to make to phone for an ambulance, they use yeah. their phone to film the guy dying. Exactly, yeah. Right? Which is which is completely fucking wrong. Now yeah. I'm wondering whether this guy was just that demented. I mean, you know, when um, we had the July bomb plot, yes, right. The 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 guys that were involved, uh, von Stauffenberg and all, all his co-conspirators, were all put to death, and it was filmed for Hitler's benefit. Yeah. Right, and Hitler sat down in, in a cinema, his own cinema, and watched it all. Yeah. Right? Because he was a murderous wanker. Yeah. Uh, was this guy filming it all so that somebody somewhere could get off on it? Because the Japanese were their allies. Yeah. Know? Yeah. It's like making films, and they're out, they're out there. I've seen them, I've watched it, right? Germans massacring Russian civilians. Yes, yes. I've seen those films. You know, this this guy is called the good Nazi. <laughs> yeah. Right? But here we are, he's, he's filmed these massacres. He's looked after himself, first and foremost. He's looked after the people that worked for him. Why? Because if everything goes back to normal... You still need your workforce. Yeah. Right? He's gone back to Germany and gone on a lecture tour (laughs) during the war. Yeah. And then you get to this bit where, you know, the British put him through a denazification program. And it failed. The first denazification program failed. Right. Remember, we did a podcast not so long back about Hannah Reich, lovely lady. That's right. right? Yes. And what did she say? 
she said, when you go to Germany these days, you won't find one person who voted for Hitler, right? And not a single Nazi. Yeah. Right? She was a proud Nazi, but she went through the denazification program and was declared denazified. Yeah. This guy fails the denazification process. Exactly. How can that be if he's not a fucking Nazi? Yeah, and not a Nazi at a level that you fail on the first go. Yeah. (sighs) I mean, you know, if all he is is a businessman that works for Siemens, right, and he just happened to be a member of the Nazi party because you kind of had to be or you'd be sort of like... Ostracised. Uh, and Yeah. Yeah. Then surely he'd just go back to Germany like he did, have a quiet end to the war. Yeah. And when the Americans or British or Russians come in, he goes, hey, it wasn't me. You know, all this yeah. Nazi shit, man, I never agreed with that. And you're denazified in 20 minutes. Right? Yes, exactly. This guy fails and then spends a fortune fighting that in court. Yeah. It's all life savings. Here's another thing for you, right? Why was he even on a denazification program? <laughs> exactly. Most German civilians weren't. No. They just weren't. Yeah, exactly. And why was he arrested by two of the powers in the first place if he was? Because (laughs) they had extremely good grounds to suspect this guy was part of the top-level Nazi hierarchy. Yeah. So I'm going to say, from my point of view, I've looked at the evidence... We've gone out of our way in the past to try and find something to exonerate these people, right? And here's your classic golden example. They call him the good Nazi, right? But I tell you this now. You go on Google and try and find anything that, that goes against that official narrative and you will not find it. And it'll actually say... Google has filtered some of the search results, right? You were not allowed to know whether he was a Nazi cunt or not. No. Right? But as far as I'm concerned, I have enough suspicion to say, I'm sorry, you did a great job of covering your tracks, but you are a Nazi cunt. I'd have to agree 100% with that. Uh, total at a Nazi camp, definitely. It's even worse that he's painted himself in this light of a saviour, you know? Yeah. (sighs) And he's fooled. The whole the Chinese city of Nanjing. Yeah, exactly, yeah. They've only got his fucking word for it because, you know, everybody else is pretty much massacred. Exactly, they made films about him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, good films. It, you know, portraying yeah. him in it's crazy, yeah. absolutely crazy. And let me tell you this, right? He got thrown to the wolves. Basically, you're gonna 
paint yourself as being a good Nazi, right? You're not on that fucking ship to Argentina. Uh, no. Right. <laughs> Simple as that. You know, if you if you put your hand up and go, yeah, uh, you know, still believe in Hitler and all of that, um, you know, what, what Holocaust, you know? Yeah. You're on the first submarine out of there. Exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. How how can you be, right? Even even in Berlin during that time. Right, let's look at what side of Berlin he might have been on. Is was he on the Russian side? I mean the NKVD had released him. Yes. Into the hands of the British. So he was on the British side. Yeah. Right? Why why was he starving? Right? Yeah. Why was he in poverty? Because we were sending in those fucking airlifts. Yeah. Night and day, endless food supplies to stop the Germans from starving. Exactly. Yeah. Something does not add up. No, about the story. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. And, and I, I bet if you got the chance to get into the German archives, right, you might find something there, and you might you might find a lot of it's redacted. Yeah. Right, but. You don't see that reported. No. You see the official narrative. That's all you see. Exactly. I don't doubt yeah. it. I don't doubt it at all. You, you know, you do, You know, um, it's it's becoming a more, more widely known fact now that after the war, because we needed the German people to actually be on our side against the Russians throughout the Cold War, we actually span this tale about how the Germans were better soldiers than us. Oh, yeah. Right? To give them pride. Yes, pride in losing the war to keep them on side, yes. But it wasn't their fault, it was Hitler's fault. Yeah. You see? Yeah. It was all Hitler's fault, and they were brilliant. It's just not true. No. They just weren't any better than our troops. No, No, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, I heard some other thing today where, you know, they they used to call our Sherman tanks Ronsons or Tommy Cookers, right? <laughs> Statistically, our tanks did not catch fire any more than theirs did. No, of course not. Right? So all that kind of thing, there's a lot of false spin. It's all starting to come out these days. Yeah. And... But so, as I said, you know, this guy, sorry, you are, he is one of the worst types of Nazi Absolutely. cunt. Absolutely. Uh, I agree yeah. 100%. There we go. Yeah. Well, that kind of ends the, the show this time, I think, doesn't it? It does, we yes. Failed, failed again. Failed again. On the, right I mean, that, that on the face of it, it, it looked like it was, you know, almost bulletproof. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but a Nazi's a Nazi at the end of the day. Yeah, and they're all yeah, cunts. Well, this one yeah. is. This one is. Yes, absolute cunt. All right, mate. Well, good show. Yeah, and uh, we'll uh, we'll dig deep for the next one. Excellent. All right. Bye now. Right. I run into churches shouting, "Jesus was a cunt." Happy that I've ruined someone's day. In hospital, I always put the gown on back to front. Sell my cock and balls are on display I go into shops announcing that my pants are full of shit When nobody's listening at all I'm a knobhead
playground I put glue all down the slide So the buggers meet a sticky end When I'm at a wedding I attempt to fuck the bride Even if the groom is my best friend I'm the guy who's in the public toilets pissing on the seat And drawing a wheelie on the wall I'm a wanker, I'm a plonker, I'm the biggest prick you'll meet I am the villain of the ball The Lord sees people dying every day And doesn't intervene in any way If mass extermination is his game He must want all of us to do the same When I die and he asks if I did the killing stuff that he likes Then I'll just come clean that it's not my scene But I pushed some kid off his bike Parties with a toothbrush up my nose And a bit of dog shit on my shoes I leave water running till my bathtub overflows Just because I live above some Jews I go into Chinese restaurants with a lampshade for a hat And Tito and grannies take a fall I take every opportunity to be a total twat I am the villain 